Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Let's go on a trip together to a totally alternative universe. You never hear what's happening there unless you tune into right-wing talk radio. But you need to know what they are saying because the most popular, most powerful talkers in the country have trained their sights on Joe Biden. What you are about to hear them say is mind-boggling. Look, look, whether you like Biden or not, this stuff is offensive and otherworldly. So let me set the stage for this before I play the clips. Keep in mind that news and talk radio is still really popular, even in the Internet age. Guys like Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity can influence tens of millions of listeners. And as this HuffPost headline pointed out earlier this year, talk radio stars were shopping dangerous claims about the coronavirus. They were downplaying its severity. But nowadays, if you listen to those shows, you hardly hear about COVID at all. They have shifted to big-time Biden bashing instead. You know what this is? This is negative partisanship in action. So what's negative partisanship? Well, these researchers from Emory University uh, define it as a pretty simple concept. They say in this article for Political Magazine that over the past few decades, American politics has become like a bitter sports rivalry in which the parties hang out, hang together, mainly out of sheer hatred of the other team rather than a shared sense of purpose. The researchers showed that partisans, meaning strong supporters of a specific party, have grown to dislike the opposing party, quote, more than they like their own party. So when the president, for example, says that Biden is against God, that's negative partisanship. It is so hateful. But I want to be clear, there's a lot of negative partisanship that happens on the left as well. Disdain and nastiness directed at the right. This is happening in all directions, but it is especially extreme, especially vitriolic on the right, directed at Joe Biden and directed at other Democrats right now. Yeah, I don't want to claim it's new. I just am arguing that it's getting worse. It's getting more severe. Uh, Aaron, your view of this, you know, when you see um, entire media companies essentially exist to tear down Joe Biden, is there an equivalent to that on the left tearing down Trump? Uh, there, there really isn't. And, you know, what I would say, it, it, it's, a, it's really a diet of, of this type of information that a lot of these voters are getting. A lot of the voters that I talk to, I can, uh, you know, when I interview them, I do hear uh, them saying a lot of the talking points that sound very familiar from, from some of these shows. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's 11th of August, year of our Lord 2020. And, you know, I start a show with the primer, and that is the best primer I've ever had. I mean, it is just bone-crushing lack of self-awareness, Brian Seltzer. I mean, do you ever watch your own network and the rest of the media? Does anybody over in CNN watch their, Jesus Christ, on a popsicle stick? I mean, seriously. But that'll wait for a second. First, want to talk about July. July was a banner month for the old podcast. 1,700 listens that I could track. So, once again, using the slide rule, at least 3,000 listens, which is really quite a few. Um, the top track was 722. 
had a shitload of listens. Uh, United States was the highest, but we had Ukraine, Ireland, Germany, Russian Federation, United Kingdom, Saudi Arabia, Indonesia, and Netherlands. United Kingdom is my favorite because I haven't had a lot of British listeners. And if you're still listening out there, Heidi Ho, man, I watch nothing but BBC. I swear to God, swear to God I am totally in to Acorn and BritBox. That's my two channels that I grab off Amazon. Um, and then top cities was Dublin, Ireland. That's cool. Uh, the cityest nearest to me, Clarksville, Tennessee. Mountain View, California. Moscow. Boardman, Oregon. Federal Way, Washington. Um, Newmarked in der Opperfaltz, Germany. I probably said that way bad. Uh, Virginia still. Ashburn. Westminster, Colorado. Uh, somebody in Beitgeim, uh, Bissigen, Germany. Said that wrong. Preston, United Kingdom. Heisengheim, Germany, Phoenix, Clifton, New Jersey, Southport, United Kingdom, Kent, Washington, San Francisco, Beaverton, Oregon, where I was raised, uh, Salem, Bothell, Washington, Cabot, Arkansas. I know who that is. How you doing out there in Searcy? I won't say your name because you might not want to be associated with the show. But it was quite a mix of people. Um, really, one of the biggest buckshots of different places ever. Uh and I would say the listeners, but I'm not going to because uh, one of them is a person that I know. I don't know the rest of you, and I don't know if you want your name on the air, so I'm not going to do it. Additionally, I want to really say thank you to anybody who had to put up the last two podcasts because they were friggin' horrible. Uh, bro in Oregon, Matt in Oregon, uh, talked to me about it, and I had just listened to the last one, which I don't remember what date it was, and there was a crack. I mean, it was like the mic was blown. So I came down here on a day that I, you know, between last podcast and now, and I dicked around, and I literally thought my beautiful microphone, but big sis and Kyle are out of there, cost $200 friggin' dollars, was shot. Uh, blue mic. It's beautiful. And I, at the last second, decided, okay, I've tried every feature, every, you know, from cardoid to... Whatever, input volumes, audacity input. I fucked around with it for at least a half hour. And then something told me, back in the day, I plugged into the first or the front of the computer. I never plugged into the back. So I had plugged into the back to keep the cord routed. But somehow routing it through power cords for the two monitors, uh, the VGA cord and the HDMI cord that goes to those, speaker power, blah, blah, blah. That's where the interference was coming. So I put it back in the front and the crack went away. So I want to apologize for it. So let's do a few things up front before we get into seltzer. Nashville city council. This is hits to home. Shannon Hurt calls for legislation to change, charge people with murder for not wearing a mask. Also claims coronavirus is airborne. She's disappointed when she learned she can't do this. Simultaneously, there was a lot of jerking off on the left of the anarchy people about, you know, Nashville, them hitting the federal building or the um, state house, trying to start a fire. Well, Shelby Liggins, Liggins, Ligons, L-I-G-O-N-S, 22, been arrested. She's facing a serious length of tour in a local jail. And that just shows you, you can play fuck, fuck goose out there on the West Coast. Sorry, Matt. Or on the East Coast, or as we see in so many other places, Chicago, etc. You can do that there. But you can't do it 
in the South. They're not going to play. They're not going to play. Other than Atlanta, you're not playing. These people know they're never going to get elected if they go to anarchy rules. Rules. It's just not going to happen. Another one was Jason Charter, a D.C. area Antifa militant charged with multiple felonies in relation to violent protest. Jason Charter was arrested as the alleged Antifa ringleader in the 22 June attempt to destroy Andrew Jackson. Uh, the media, of course, as he points out, and we're going to cover a little bit about the hearing today. Uh, yeah, he, he literally, Trump, it's still Trump. Nobody talks about this stuff. But all you find in the media is without feds, Portland peaceful again. We'll prove that's not true. Trump ordered federal forces to quell Portland protests, but the chaos ended. That's not true. Portland protests peaceful after federal officers scale back presence. That was NBC. And then they ran from it because nobody wants to talk about it. And I've been trying so much not to play Tucker on my show because this is flyover politics. It's not Tucker Carlson. But at 4 o'clock this morning when the cats woke me the fuck up again, and I went out in the living room. I watched Tucker Carlson from last night. And this segment's going to blow you the fuck away. Because I will bet you a dollar to a cow's ass. None of you heard this. I know I didn't. Don Roberts, thanks so much for that. Craziness, but it seems now almost normal. Violence is a feature of daily life at this point in the nation's capital. Over the weekend, 21 people were shot in a single incident in Washington. More than half of them were women. One was a D.C. police officer. It was the single biggest mass shooting in America this year, and yet you probably heard nothing about it. Members of Congress didn't lock arms on the House floor to demand an end to the gun violence. CNN didn't book a procession of weepy teenage gun control actives or an extended town hall meeting. News organizations barely touched the story, and when they did, they moved on fast. It wouldn't help the Biden campaign to talk about it, so they didn't talk about it. As far as we can tell, neither CNN nor MSNBC even mentioned it today. 21 people shot in a group in our capital city, and they acted like it didn't happen. But it did happen. We're showing it to you on the screen right now. 21 African-Americans shot by gunmen, yet the media spent all weekend telling you about how Simon Cowell fell off his electric bike in Malibu because, really, black lives matter. MSNBC wants you to know that. It's grotesque. But it's now the rule. Dead bodies don't count unless they are politically useful dead bodies. Last month, gang members shot 15 people outside a funeral home in Chicago. It looked like Fallujah. We played some of the video of it on this show. It was very upsetting. The other channels did not play it. None of the primetime hosts on CNN or MSNBC even mentioned the shooting. They didn't care. Politicians didn't care either. Muriel Bowser is the mayor of Washington, D.C. Bowser claims to care about black lives very much. She ordered the slogan, Black Lives Matter, in fact, painted in yellow on the road leading to the White House just to underscore how much she cares. So how did Muriel Bowser respond when 21 African-Americans were gunned down in her city? Well, she talked about her coronavirus lockdowns. Bowser has banned gatherings in the city of more than 50 people, and apparently there were more than that at the cookout where the shooting occurred. This enraged Muriel Bowser. Here's what the mayor said about the shooting yesterday. Quote, it's important as a community that we have a zero tolerance for this kind of activity, end quote. Now, to be perfectly clear, Mayor Bowser was not talking about the mass shootings. When she said we need zero tolerance, Bowser is happy to tolerate violence. She does every day. She often encourages violence. What Bowser won't put up with is citizens violating her lockdown orders. 
Bowser's chief of police, a man called Peter Newsham, reiterated that point. Quote, we can't have these large gatherings in the city, the chief said. In other words, shootings are acceptable as long as the police don't commit them. But disobey our corona decrees and we will come for you. The media wholeheartedly agree with this, of course. Violence does not bother them. They encourage it regularly. Disobedience bothers them. This weekend, motorcycle riders, mostly on Harley-Davidson's, from all over the country gathered in Sturgis, South Dakota for their annual rally, the Sturgis Rally. Some of them forgot their masks. This outraged our news media. The people on motorcycles were too masculine, too patriotic, therefore too unlikely to vote for Joe Biden to go uncriticized. So the media spent a lot of the weekend trying to shame the bikers into disappearing. In other words, as some of the poorest people in Washington bled onto the sidewalk, this is what your news anchors talked about. A bike rally is drawing tens of thousands of people to a small town in South Dakota for what doctors warned could turn into a coronavirus super spreader event. Not seeing a lot of masks there. Very little social distancing is what we're hearing from our team on the ground. Tell people what the odds are, tell people what the risks and the dangers are, and let them decide and expect them to be responsible. To others, that event, a reckless affront to common sense and a likely coronavirus super spreader. Oh, super spreaders. In other words, men who are unapologetically male. They hate that. Meanwhile, the city of Washington, back in the real world, continued to spiral toward chaos. In Georgetown, one of the richest, most liberal neighborhoods in the city, certainly in the country, a group of thugs marched down residential streets in the middle of the night to make certain that no one was sleeping. People who live there must have been confused. In Georgetown, Black Lives Matter yard signs are about as common as designer dog breeds. Very common. The residents apparently thought they'd bought themselves peace by paying their indulgences with the correct political slogans, but they hadn't. The fact their neighborhood is still safe is now considered a crime, and the mob made that very clear. Did you see that footage on CNN? Oh, you didn't. You saw footage of super spreaders at Sturgis. How dare they ride motorcycles without masks? Meanwhile, back in Georgetown, again, the real world, just in case the residents there didn't feel sufficiently threatened, the mob then barricaded Key Bridge, the Francis Scott Key Bridge. That's the main artery from Georgetown out of the city. Blocking main arteries out of cities is an obvious threat to public safety. It's far more dangerous than any overattended cookout. But police didn't stop it. They helped the mob. And once again, the media collectively ignored all of it. And what exactly did the liberal, passive, heavily elderly residents of Georgetown do to deserve this kind of abuse and harassment from a mob of Joe Biden voters? That's the core question. But no one on television wanted to talk about that. So again, they just ignored the entire thing. They're doing it all over the country. Story after story ignored, disappeared down the memory hole because it's politically inconvenient. In Los Angeles, for example, a city council member called Mike Bonin voted to slash the LAPD budget by $150 million. He's very opposed to the police. But that didn't stop him from calling the police. Since April, it turns out that cops have been called to Bonin's home eight separate times, often to deal with, surprise, surprise, protesters. Bonin's defense is that he didn't make the calls. No, somehow the LAPD with collusion from right-wing elements made the calls. 
Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. But it's good enough for the newspapers in Los Angeles. They're not covering the story. It's not a story. Right. Guy who votes to defund the police calls them eight times to keep the lunatics from coming through his front door. Not a story. Okay. Last Thursday, meanwhile, in Portland, Oregon, a city that effectively no longer has a government, rioters threw paint on an elderly woman. What was her crime? She made the mistake of trying to stop them from destroying a building. Here's why this is so interesting. As the mob attacked her, they explained their agenda. Quote, this isn't your world anymore, they shouted. Put your mask on. Boy, does that tell you everything. Meanwhile, in the city of Chicago, rioters have dropped any pretense of ideology. Sure, they'll vote for Joe Biden, obviously, but this isn't about the election. They just want to steal things. And in effect, authorities there, as they are in so many places, are allowing them to do that. Early this morning, caravans of looters sacked stores in downtown Chicago. Here's part of it. is this? And what's the justification for that? There's always a story at the bottom of these things that the media repeat, allow them to believe it was justified. The pretext for that theft and destruction you just saw was a false report that a teenager had been executed by the police. It was a lie, as it turned out. It usually is a lie. In fact, a 20-year-old had been killed after shooting at the police. Whatever. We're so used to violence justified by lies that few people seem to notice the difference. And speaking of, just this weekend, Joe Biden honored Michael Brown, that was the man killed in Ferguson, Missouri, after he violently attacked a store owner on tape and then a cop. Joe Biden apparently doesn't remember that part. He seems to consider Michael Brown a martyr. It's hard to know who in America still believes these lies. Most people no longer seem to believe anything they hear from politicians. When everything is political, we learn to trust nothing. But one thing that is real and will always be real is the debris left behind. Bullet holes are real. So are burned stores. So are boarded up windows and terrified neighbors. That will always be real. And we have it. So what will be the aftermath of all of this? What are America's cities going to look like a year from now? There's no question people will flee Georgetown. They may have BLM signs in their driveways. It doesn't mean they want screaming BLM lunatics on their streets. They don't. Nobody does, actually, no matter what they tell you. No matter what color they are. No one likes that. That's true for people in Georgetown, in Portland, Oregon, in San Francisco, in Chicago, New York, any other place where order and decency have disappeared. People will not live long with chaos. No matter what they tell you, no matter what signs they put in their yard, they will leave. And many of them have already left. We're about to see one of the great demographic shifts in American history. Unless the insanity stops and soon, our biggest cities will revert to what they were 50 years ago. Broke, dirty, and dangerous. On the bright side, we'll have resolved the gentrification problem. So, It is unbelievable because you know damn freaking Skippy of a bunch of white dudes were having a party that would make the news. But a bunch of white dudes shooting up the party, it would be 
news, but it's not. Poll, Americans' hope for objective media is all but lost. It's tilted more. I'm not going to read it. It's Gallup, but it's it's just three quarters say it. More conservative than, you know, liberals because they listen. They, they live in a bubble when you watch all the major media. I mean, it's just all left. A new study of Twitter used by D.C.-based journalists shows they're isolated from the broader public talking too much to each other. Like, that's Neiman Lab. Like, we need to know that. I mean, for fuck's sake, I didn't see anything about the Cruz hearing. And that's why I jutted those in there. Anything. They, they didn't cover it, other than Maisie Hirano being a hero for walking out. So here's a jumble fuck of sound bites from it, from what I could get. And Andy NGO's in there. It, you know, fuck it. It wasn't important to our media. Having no bill at all not coming to any agreement wasn't going to provide any of the things that you want either. You're known as a mass, master negotiator, but didn't you mess this one up? Because you talk about all the things that the president's bill... Let me, let me just finish, if I may, Speaker. Uh, now, because there's no... I will say one of the, the odd things. Our Democratic colleagues repeatedly refer to what they call right-wing extremists, and they cite the Boogaloo Boys, or they cite white supremacists, uh, or they haven't cited, but they could certainly cite the Klan. Uh, What I will say unequivocally is what Senator Graham said. Those guys are evil, bigoted, violent monsters. They should be prosecuted and thrown in jail. I unequivocally condemn anyone who engages on violence, whether on the right or left. And sadly, what's missing is too many in the Democratic Party refuse to condemn Antifa. They refuse to condemn... Senator Hirono said no one has been uh, killed from that side of the aisle. I'll tell you, I was also in Dallas in 2016 when five police officers were murdered by a radical at a Black Lives Matter protest. And... This shouldn't be a political game. Don't kill people. Don't set police cars on fire. Mr. Cuccinelli, those who are engaged in rioting in Portland right now, the 277 officer injuries that have occurred, who's doing it? Well, as I said, rioters are not protesters. Protesters are not rioters. It is the violent among them who often hide behind the peaceful um, and, and use them for a form of protection while using slingshots, using lasers. Well, just in a few hours, the Senate will hold a hearing about Antifa's role in riots across the country. Texas GOP Senator Ted Cruz is chairing this hearing, and he joins us now with what we can expect. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good to be with you. Good to see you. So, Senator, what can we expect today? Well, this morning we're going to examine uh, what the Constitution protects, which is the right to peaceably assemble. And and we saw, uh, starting a couple of months ago, thousands of people across the country coming out, exercising their free speech rights. You and I, we all have a right to speak and to protest, 
But we cross the line when we commit violence, when you assault someone else, when you firebomb a police car, when, when you loot and destroy a small business, when you murder a, a police officer, you've crossed the line, and, and that has got to stop. And this hearing is really focusing on how, how violent terrorists, how the, the, these attacks are not spontaneous. They're organized. Antifa is organizing them. The Marxist group Black Lives Matter is organizing them, and, and, and that's an important distinction there. The phrase Black Lives Matter is indisputably true. Everyone agrees with that because every life is a precious gift from God. The actual organization that has called itself Black Lives Matter is formed by avowed Marxists who are seeking to abolish the police, who are seeking to destroy the nuclear family, and that's what they say their objectives are. And, and this violence, we need to see concerted, real efforts so that anyone understands if you assault someone else, if you commit an act of violence, you're going to be arrested, you're going to jail, and you'll be prosecuted. Yeah, my, my hope, we, uh, Senator, my hope is that we're going to see uh, who is financing these uh, 18 to 25-year-olds who are destroying yep. city after city. And hopefully you can unwind that and some police officers have uh, debriefed some of these people after they capture them, before they let them go, and get to the bottom of it. Meanwhile, one of the big things that concerns you and concerns the president is having a mail-in ballot for yep. the entire country. Absentee ballot and mail-in ballots, different absentee about a million you're talking a hundred million here's the president yesterday using the new york race which is still not decided as yep. an example watch and if you look at the uh, new york congressional race which is a disaster carolyn it's been a total disaster they have they're six weeks into it now they have no clue what's going on and I mean, I think I can say right here and now, I think you have to rerun that race because it's a mess. Nobody knows what's happening with the ballots and the lost ballots and the fraudulent ballots, I guess. So this is a small race with literally thousands of people, small thousands, and it's all messed up. Is this emblematic of what happened to this country on November 3rd? Senator? Oh, I'm... I'M SORRY, I DIDN'T HEAR THE QUESTION. Um, IT WAS A GOOD ONE. I'LL RE-ASK IT. Uh, IS THIS EMBLEMATIC OF WHAT COULD HAPPEN NOVEMBER 3rd? Uh, you, YOU KNOW, I, I THINK IT COULD VERY WELL BE. Uh, WHEN IT COMES TO ELECTIONS, WE WANT ELECTIONS TO BE SAFE. WE WANT THEM TO BE SECURE. WE WANT THAT WHEN YOU GO AND CAST A VOTE, THAT THAT VOTE COUNT AND, and THAT THE INTEGRITY OF THE ELECTION BE PROTECTED. AND, and THE PROBLEM WITH MAIL-IN BALLOTS, YOU KNOW, SOME PEOPLE MIGHT WONDER, WHY IS THIS SUCH A BIG FIGHT? Mail-in ballots are particularly susceptible to fraud. You know, in Texas, uh, we have fairly stringent standards on when mail-in ballots are allowed. And the origins of that, you go back to the Texas legislature when they adopted those standards. It was at a time when, when there were a lot of Texas Democrats and there was a lot of voter fraud, particularly in Texas Democratic primaries. And you can go back and look at the legislative history where, where elected Democrats in the Texas legislature were describing how mail-in ballots would be used to steal votes from unsuspecting Democratic voters, many of them African-American or Hispanic, who didn't know that, it, that it, was, it was unscrupulous partisans who were stealing their votes and casting them for whatever candidate had paid them or whatever candidate had hired them to go engage in, in, in stealing votes. We see in California vote harvesting. It's the same thing where you have these unscrupulous operatives that harvest votes and the ones they like they put in, the mm -hmm. ones they don't disappear. That's what 
sadly the Democrats have decided to focus on. I think the president is absolutely right. We need integrity in our elections. We're sitting here six weeks later. We still don't know the result in New York. Imagine if that happens in the presidential race. That wouldn't be pretty, and let's not have that happen. Let's actually have people's votes count when they cast them. Imagine, yeah. We're out of time, Senator. We'll be watching because considering Jim Clyburn denies there's any violence in Oregon, Jerry Nadler has said Antifa is yeah. a myth. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to see what Democrats say in your hearing today. We'll be watching. Senator Ted Cruz, thank you very much. So I hope this is the end of this hearing, Mr. Chairman, and that we don't have to listen to any more of your rhetorical speeches. Thank you very much. I'm leaving. Well, I appreciate the, as always, kind and uplifting words of Senator Hirono. And I would also note that throughout her remarks, she still did not say a negative word about Antifa, nor has any Democrat here. Uh, they instead engage in a political game where they depend. You're welcome to say something negative about Antifa right now. Okay, she declined to speak, so that is the position of the Democratic Party. I would note also that of the seven Democratic senators who spoke, not a one of them apologized for or denounced multiple Democrats calling law enforcement officers Nazis, stormtroopers, and Gestapo, to be fair. I don't have... I have worked undercover for months in Portland and other cities, and I've seen with my own eyes how hundreds of so-called protesters work together to carry out acts of organized criminality against government and civilians. Both violent and nonviolent participants play a role. For example, Antifa, by their own admission, depend on mass numbers of peaceful protesters to act as human shields. Those privy to the organizational workings are divided into units, one to monitor police movement, one for street medics, one for vandals and arsonists, and so on. They coordinate on encrypted chat applications like Signal because they are extremely difficult for law enforcement to monitor. Officer injuries that have occurred. Who's doing it? Well, as I said, rioters are not protesters. Protesters are not rioters. It is the violent among them who often hide behind the peaceful um, and, and use them for a form of protection while law using slingshots, using Lasers, we've had more eye injuries, um, and I brought one with me. This is commercially available laser that you see, and you're seeing them used now in Portland to a degree that we have never seen before. Now, if I hold my hand in front of that laser, it's hot by that point in time. This is just, this is just a pointer you buy off Amazon. And we're seeing more different kinds of weapons. We're seeing some of the old-fashioned, a rock, um, oldest weapon known to man, um, along with new items like this that we've never seen used in such an organized fashion against uh, our officers, their eyes. Um, and we, as I said, we've had more eye injuries than, than I can ever remember another, in another incident. Of all of our injuries, eyes is number one. How many is that? 113 out of 277. That hearing is next, and then, needless to say, what we euphemistically call contact with an object, which is... And I will say for our Democratic members... ...Tifa, by their own admission, depend on mass numbers of peaceful protesters to act as human shields. Those privy to the organizational workings are divided into units, one to monitor police movement, one for street medics, one for vandals and arsonists, and so on.
They coordinate unencrypted chat applications like Signal because they are extremely difficult for law enforcement to monitor. Antifa has mastered the art of making its violence appear innocuous. For example, projectiles that look like water balloons can be filled with chemicals. Small slingshots can be used to project rocks, glass, and ball bearings into police lines. Umbrella tips can be fastened with discreet pocket knives. Powerful handheld lasers can cause serious damage to the eyes. Antifa and its allies have made rioting an art form in Portland. They have access to a rich stream of cash flowing from platforms like GoFundMe, Venmo, and Cash App. Any conspirator arrested in Portland is instantly bailed out and ready for the next night of violent protest. I come to you today with a message for senators of both parties. Antifa's goal is not only to abolish the criminal justice system, it is to bring down the republic itself. Burn it down, they say. But don't take my word for it. Go read their literature, listen to their chants, and look at their graffiti messages. Portland is a canary in the coal mine for America. Look to my city to see what happens when a group like Antifa is left unchecked. Thank you. I have worked undercover for months in Portland and other cities, and I've seen with my own eyes how hundreds of so-called protesters work together to carry out acts of organized criminality against government and civilians. Both violent and nonviolent participants play a role. For example, Antifa, by their own admission, depend on mass numbers of peaceful protesters to act as human shields. Those privy to the organizational workings are divided into units, one to monitor police movement, one for street medics, one for vandals and arsonists, and so on. They coordinate unencrypted chat applications like Signal because they are extremely difficult for law enforcement to monitor. I mean, this is a crime spree that we've never seen in our lifetime, if you really think about it. And it's an overstepping of mayors and everything else This may not seem like it should be here, but does anybody remember what we used to portray Russia? Because I'm not covering it this show. There was a whole segment on it on a couple other podcasts I listened to. Uh, They're bringing it back again, like Russia, Russia, Russia. Well, Russia, you had to have papers and shit to go from place to place. New York, Gloria Pozzimino, no outrage in the media. The checkpoints will be located at key entry points, major bridges of the tunnel across New York City. The New York City mayor says there will be fines of up to 10K for violating mandatory quarantine. They're going to stop people. They then put out Spectrum News. New York City has been under 3% of the citywide COVID infection rate. New York City mayor says daily briefing. Hi, it's political reporter Emily Go, barring the count to live tweet. I expect us to maintain that level. In fact, drive it down further. Emma Fitzgibbons. Mayor de Blasio is announcing the city will have checkpoints at bridges and tunnels to educate travelers about two-week quarantine if you're coming from out of state. Now, if you listen to this show or you read anything other than the mainstream media, well, you could have read the New York Times. They talked about it. Up to 100,000 people exited New York City, went all over the country and infected all of us. But now they're doing checkpoints. Really? And then we had another one of these ones. Sticker shock. Trump supporter with stickers on car attacked at a gas station. A man with Trump stickers on his vehicle was allegedly shouted at and shoved while pumping gas in Oregon. The Redmond spokesman reported that District Attorney John Hummel announced charges this week. 51-year-old Daniel Kehoe 
has been charged after allegedly shoving Dobbs Presley and challenging him to a fight after pulling into the gas station. That is directly because Democrats told people to do that. They told them. Don't let them be in the public space. CNN specifically. Every white man's a terrorist. Mega is racist. All punches are not the same. Morally. Seattle man asked protesters outside his home to quiet down so he could sleep. He gets a beat down. I'm not playing the, I'm sick of playing violence. It makes me angry. It just makes me angry. There's only one state that's done anything about it. Of all places, not Atlanta, Georgia made it a hate crime to harass police. They just passed it through. But it's not applicable in Atlanta. I mean, the media, if they covered this honestly, the number one story you would have heard of, and it's spliced in here, Minneapolis Star Tribune endorses Omar's challenger. Because after they watched Minneapolis go away as a city, and her coming on saying we're going to dismantle everything in the fucking world, they go, yeah, we don't need this shit. We don't, we, we don't want this shit. That should have been number one. Number two should have been woman with a BLM sign in Portland. Harassed by Anaphon, splashed with paint. How the fuck? And it was a white guy. That's the amazing thing. It was a white guy. She had a BLM sticker. She was in a walker. But to date, all we've had is the AP go there once, and then this poor bastard, Stop the Press as New York Times commits journalism, finds Antifa thuggery in Seattle. Only after Seattle became a national laughing stock and yet Deadly Wasteland did anyone in the liberal media decide the beloved utopia was a bad thing. We saw this in Saturday's print edition of the New York Times with reporter Nellie Bowles committing a random act of journalism. Abolished police, survivors of Seattle chaos have doubts. Bowles actually went to Seattle and talked to local negatively affected by the recently broken up Chaz and weeks-long anti-police protests and dug up some wretched anecdotes for vulnerable small businesses, even a dig at her fellow comrades in the press. Fazil Khan was being told by the news media and his own mayor that the protests in his hometown were peaceful with a block party atmosphere. But that was not what he saw through the windows of Seattle Coffee Shop. He saw encampments overtaking the sidewalks, saw roving bands of mass things, blah, 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 blah. She, 
this person went there. Anifa, which stands for anti-fascist, is a radical leaderless leftist political movement that uses armed violent protests as a method to create what supporters say is a more just and equitable country. Wow. That's actually real. She also shared without evidence concerns about problems in the area, such as businesses being asked to pay money in exchange for protection. And we've already shown that. But I have a 27-minute interview that I was going to play, but I'm not going to. Well, let me see if I can edit down. I want to get the one statement that sums up Portland. Hold one. You know, I'm just going to say what he said because I, I went back and listened to it and I just don't think I should give this fucking piece of fucking shit yokel any more airtime. He's more concerned about Trump using violence from his city for his campaign. That's what pisses him off. That's it. They don't care that their cities have turned into wastelands, the wild, wild west. Somebody is calling Wyatt Earp to come in and fucking take over. Sorry, I like Wyatt Earp ads, or Wyatt Earp movies. I mean, for fuck's sake, it's a total shit show. And they know it. Fuck. So, to get to our first break, um, I want you to think about the following thing. And you're going to hear Trump bash a... Reporter, and I love this line. I'm going to use it for everything. It's a peaceful protest. Whenever I'm doing something wrong, it's just a peaceful protest. Indianapolis painted a giant BLM mural a block from where a white mom was killed for saying all lives matter. And to this day, the press up there won't report that this dude violated his concealed carry once they broke apart and sniped her ass from below. That's how fucking fucked up Democrats are. So, Trump's bash. We're going to play music today. I was in the car going to get, I don't know what the hell I was going to get. I went out really quick and a song from 2000, almost a 20-year-old song came on that I forgot all about. I love this band back in the day. This is Drowning Pool with Tearing Away After Trump. And it's an awesome song. You said that the pandemic is disappearing, but we lost 6,000 Americans this week. And just in this room, you have dozens of people. You're not following the guidelines in New Jersey, which say you should not have more. No, they don't have to. political activity. You're wrong with that because it's a political activity. They have exceptions, political activity. And it's also a peaceful protest. So when you have, and, and as you know... They look like they all have pretty much all have masks on. But, uh, you know, you have an exclusion in the law. It says peaceful protests or political activity, right? In fact, specifically, yeah, it says exactly political activity or peaceful protest. And you can call it political activity, but I, I call it peaceful protest because they heard you were coming up and they know the news is fake. They understand it better than anybody. And they asked whether or not. They asked whether or not they can be here. Like the question about Russia, he doesn't mention Iran was in the report. He doesn't mention, or he mentions very late, that China was in the report. Because that's the way they are. They're not... If the press in this country were honest, it wasn't corrupt, if it wasn't fake, our country would be so much further ahead. But we're doing really great. Thank you all very much. Thank you very much.
can't seem to make them stay. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. 
Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Are, are you going to re-engage with Cuba, though? I mean, I'm I'm specifically wondering about you know the Florida yes. communities that are in, in, you know yes. incredibly interested in in the Cuba issue um, and see yes. uh, status given to Venezuelans while Cubans are being deported. The answer so are, is yes. I'm going to engage. Yes, yes. And by the way, what you all know, but most people don't know. Unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. Have you taken a cognitive No, I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you, before you got in this program, if you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not, what do you think, huh? Are are you a junkie? What do you say to President Trump who brags about his test and makes your mental state an issue for voters. Well, if he can't figure out the difference between an elephant and a lion, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Did you watch that? Look, come on, man. I I, I know you're trying to goad me, but, I mean, I'm so forward looking to have an opportunity to sit with the president or stand with the president in debates. There can be plenty of time. And, by the way, as I joke with them, you know, it, I, I shouldn't say it. I'm going to say something I don't. I, I probably shouldn't say. Anyway, I am. Uh, I am very willing to let the American public judge my physical, and mental, my physical as well as my mental fitness. But Biden was also on defense today after he raised eyebrows during a video conference with black and Hispanic journalists. The answer is yes. I'm going to engage. Yes. Yes. And by the way. What you all know, but most people don't know, unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. President Trump pouncing, tweeting, wow, Joe Biden just lost the entire African-American community. What a dumb thing to say. And lashing out before departing Washington. I just watched the clip and... Joe Biden this morning totally disparaged and insulted the black community. What he said is incredible, and I don't know what's going on with him. The Biden campaign saying it's clear that Vice President Biden was referring to diversity of attitudes among Latinos from different Latin American countries. An advisor adding, of course Biden knows the black community is not a monolith. African Americans are a critical constituency. President Trump only got single-digit support among the group in 2016. And the July NBC News Wall Street Journal poll shows Biden with 80% support among black voters and President Trump with 6%. Late today, Biden tried to clarify. We can build a new administration that reflects the full diversity of our nation and the full diversity of Latino communities. Now, when I mean full diversity, unlike the African-American community and many other communities, you're from everywhere, from Europe, from the tip of South America, all the way to our border in Mexico, and in in the Caribbean. The president has a long history of racially charged and divisive remarks. 
Trump recently tweeting a video of a man shouting the racist phrase white power and calling Black Lives Matter a, quote, symbol of hate. About uh, the Latino community and also the African American community here in the United States. And he had to do a little bit of cleanup after that. Uh, but the president really seizing on that moment. I'm not sure that is landing the way he intended either. Yeah, I mean, look, for starters, Joe, what Joe Biden said uh, in that interview, which aired yesterday, uh, was clearly r wrong. I mean, it was just factually not correct. And that's why you saw him clean it up. And in some ways, although it wasn't quite an apology, tried to explain what he meant. Uh, Joe Biden is not the candidate who is going, who is the most fluent candidate on issues of race. That has always been true. That was true in the campaign. He even, even running against multiple black candidates, uh, uh, Hispanic candidate. Uh, Joe Biden is not the person who was at the top of people's list for uh, racial fluency. And yet he still has the support of uh, a majority of black voters. And I think that for President Trump, uh, it's a hard argument to make because the, the president has spent much of this summer defending Confederate statues, defending the Confederate flag, calling Black Lives Matter a symbol of hate, doing all of these things that really erode his own credibility on issues of race. So it's very difficult for uh, this to be uh, one of those arguments where voters, he, he might expect black voters in particular to turn away from Joe Biden and to him. These kinds of gaffes. One of the troubles for the Trump campaign also is that just like perhaps voters are used to President Trump and these kinds of public missteps, they might also be used to Joe Biden and these kinds of public missteps. Joe Biden has uh, been uh, known to be a gaffe machine for much of his political career. It has, in some ways, uh, it preceded uh, his advanced mm -hmm. age. And so it is not... This today, I'm kind of grateful that he went over the top like that about Joe Biden, because it gives Joe Biden's camp the ability to talk about Joe Biden's faith. I mean, anybody who knows him knows that he is a lifelong practicing Catholic and that he's deeply faithful. In many ways, he reminds me of your father and the ability to pull faith into policy and caring for the least of these. Joe Biden walks the talk. He carries a rosary with him every day. It's just part of his DNA. So the fact that Trump would raise this as in sort of this flailing, I can't imagine that this was part of his written script, that he's just trying as hard as he possibly can. Or he's delusional. Another sign of I mean, my, my concern or is, you know, I got two issues yeah. here. One is I'd always assumed that he was just lying, defying reality and denying it for his own benefit. But maybe he doesn't have a grasp of it. Maybe he really does. Maybe he really does think he's religious. You know, maybe he really does well, think these things yeah. that he says. But look, I think your problem for Joe Biden is not I don't think he's faithful. It's that you lefties. This will be the argument you've turned. He, I don't care what his faith is. You guys want to kill all the babies. I don't care what his faith is. Uh, you guys want people to be able to marry anything they want, whenever they want, and decide their gender, whenever they want. And that's not what God wants. Those are the Christians that Trump's going for. Yes. How many times did Jesus say the word gay? And how many times did Jesus say the word abortion? Zero. Zero on both. And so this um, policy of being able to care for the least of these, of and Joe Biden's theme about restoring the soul of America is evocative of his own faith. When asked about of scripture, Joe Biden can easily say the 25th chapter of Matthew. What does Donald Trump say when asked about his scripture preference? 
he can't find one. Or if he does, much later he says, an eye for an eye, which is something that Jesus uh, revoked in Matthew when he said, turn the other cheek. So, I mean, this notion about evangelicals following Donald Trump because of abortion or gays, I mean, they, those are not people who are going to be voting for Joe Biden and Joe Biden uh, being pro-choice. But I can tell you this, that people who care about Joe Biden's authentic faith and who can see him this morning, he was speaking to the a Baptist convention, just as Donald Trump was saying that he wants to hurt God. Right. I think you're right that Donald Trump is uh, has lost it. He's lost it. His point was clear, and he made it twice, that he, the Latino community has more diversity within itself than does the African-American community. Guess what? If you're just looking politically, it does. It does. I'm more, I'm more concerned by the cocaine comment than actually Joe Biden analyzing the political backgrounds of, of groups. Victoria, the, my complaint of Democrats over the past decade has been, and we've said it on this show, they seem to think of the Latino community as this monolith of voters. But yes, Cuban voters in Miami have a radically different political viewpoint. On the whole, uh, say, Puerto Rico uh, voters in Central Florida, or uh, Mexican voters in parts of Texas. It is... The Democrats in the past have looked at the Latino community as a monolith, and uh, I think that's that's been a great mistake. You look at uh, the black community uh, like evangelicals, uh, politically at least, usually every five, four years, 85, 86, 87 percent of black voters will vote for the Democratic candidate. Uh, in the Hispanic community, I think George Bush got 42, 43, 44 percent of the Hispanic vote, uh, but Trump and Romney got down in the low 20s. So uh, I think Joe Biden made that, uh, perhaps he made that argument inartfully. He didn't need to include the African-American community in the discussion. But the bigger point is he does seem to recognize that the Latino community is not one giant monolithic community, uh, that it is a very... It's very, it's a, it's a diverse community politically. Yes, and by the way, what you all know, but most people don't know, unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. His point was clear, and he made it twice, that he, the Latino community has more diversity within itself than does the African-American community. Guess what? If you're just looking politically, it does. It does. I'm more, I'm more concerned by the cocaine comment than actually Joe Biden analyzing the political backgrounds of, of groups. Victoria, the, my complaint of Democrats over the past decade has been, and we've said it on this show, they seem to think of the Latino community as this monolith of voters. But yes, Cuban voters in Miami have a radically different political viewpoint. On the whole, uh, say, Puerto Rico uh, voters in Central Florida or uh, Mexican voters in parts of Texas. It is The Democrats in the past have looked at the Latino community as a monolith. And uh, I think that's that's been a great mistake. You look at uh, the black community uh, like evangelicals, uh, politically at least, 
Usually every five, four years, 85, 86, 87 percent of black voters will vote for the Democratic candidate. Uh, in the Hispanic community, I think George Bush got 42, 43, 44 percent of the Hispanic vote, uh, but Trump and Romney got down in the low 20s. So uh, I think Joe Biden made that, uh, perhaps he made that argument inartfully. He didn't need to include the African-American community in the discussion. But the bigger point is he does seem to recognize that the Latino community is not one giant monolithic community, uh, that it is a very... It's very, but it's a, it's a diverse community politically. I think it's just amazing that that soundbite is out there. And Brian Seltzer, once again, says there's no networks designed to take down Trump. How in the actual fuck can Biden say that? But you heard the media spinning. I mean, ABC was more pissed off that, oh my God. Oh, my God, he's going to use this. We can't have this. That's why they're keeping him in the basement. The dude's a gaff machine. You say shit like that, once again, racist as fuck. And he has a whole bunch of racist shit. But the media is in their bubble. And next podcast, I'll have a new bumper narrative. That's his whole section. It's all narrative. Nothing is truth. My favorite from our last podcast, Czar Beckett Adams put this up. Oh, uh, what? New York Times opinion. It's hard to fathom, but it has been 36 years since a man and woman ran together on a Democratic Party ticket, writes Maureen Dowd. To use Geraldine Ferraro's favorite expression, give me a break. Yashar Ali. How does an error this significant Get past an editor. No risk corsage, please. Is the heading title of her opinion piece. Did they just forget? But it's narrative. Man and woman. Democrats care about women. Don't forget they care about women. We gotta be women. It's all about women. How do you print that? 2016 was Hillary and Kane, man and woman. But they don't remember things like that. They just regurge. It's election season. We got to hit the narrative. We got to hit the narrative. So our narrative, as usual, is Trump's the devil. And then you have Andrea Mitchell, who's always key for the women's stuff. She actually tweeted this this week. Anna Navarro is a big get for Team Obama. Biden camp taps GOP Trump foe to rev up Latino voters. Team Obama. She didn't... She didn't fucking catch what she said, and she never took it the fuck away. And uh, I think these, I, I watched uh, Mr. Berman's interview with Ms. Bush. Uh, uh, she was terrific. She comes from the, she was a spokesperson for Bernie. She campaigned for Bernie. So my guess is Joe Biden was her third, fourth, fifth pick. And she's saying, literally, I wrote it down. We cannot live under a Trump administration. Truer words never spoken. I'll leave that to the doc. 
But a lot of people are dying before their time because Donald Trump is president. This is an existential threat for the country, much less for Democrats. I've never seen the party more united. The left is working their hearts out for a very moderate presidential nominee. And all of us recognize the existential threat to our democracy that Donald Trump is and poses. What we need to see, though, is the recognition that getting Joe Biden elected isn't the ceiling. It's the floor. And there is improving and making that public option that Joe Biden ran on far more robust. But we got to keep going. We've got a pandemic raging. People are dying. 150,000 plus people have died of this pandemic. We don't know if our kids are going to be able to go back to school safely. We've got to recognize that just beating Donald Trump and taking us back to where we were, that's not enough. We've got to continue to focus on a vision about how we uplift, rebuild, and reignite uh, our country and get past some of these divisions that uh, Donald Trump has pushed. And well, I'll tell you this, what the president is, is one thing, and how we take on the president in another. Look, I, right. I'm a Muslim American. I uh, pray a particular way. One of the first things that Donald Trump tried to do was to bar people who pray the way I pray from coming into this country because of how we pray. I'm raising a two-year-old little girl who's ethnically half Egyptian, half, half Indian, 100% American. And I don't want to know that the person who was president while she was born will have any way of shaping the way she thinks about whether or not she belongs in this country. Hello, I'm, I'd like to ask my question. I can go to these states Mercedes, do you... Mercedes, Mercedes, okay. Why are you doing that? Because it appears that it's just to sow doubt in the minds of people about whether their votes are going to matter. We, for both sides, for this nation, for the sake of America, we need to make sure that every vote matters. And it's why, you know, it's important that we get this right. I'm so then why are you trying so then why are you trying to ensure that some people won't be able to vote three days after the election? Let me ask why you are you question. okay if everyone's no, no you just said you just said Mercedes Mercedes okay if you, you just Mercedes you just said that everybody uh, you were just stating uh, that a priority should be for people to practice their rights as Americans and vote and look if they're registered voters that is and their right so then why are you talking so then why are you talking down why are you villainizing mail in voting which would give people the ability to practice their right as an American and vote I'm going to ask you again do you think it's okay after November 3rd to be able to cast a ballot three days after or seven days after Mercedes the election November Mercedes vote you're saying you're saying that voter fraud is a thing and I'm telling you that it's not and you're muddying Uh, the waters and I also wonder isn't that don't you worry that that's going to actually hurt you I mean isn't that to the point why the president has said when it comes they have left Mercedes I'm asking I'm just Mercedes Mercedes this is like so this is just pointless Okay, this is pointless. Yeah. I get it. You're just saying a bunch of crap. Okay, you're saying a bunch of crap. Can I tell you what? No, let me tell you. We're talking about vo- no, no. We're talking about voting in a pandemic. We're talking. All of a sudden, okay, you don't let them have a conversation with them. We're talking about voting in a pandemic. Okay, we're talking about people trying to. Can you listen, Mercedes? Mercedes, I need you to listen to me. Okay, let's focus and have a serious conversation here. We're talking about voting in a pandemic and giving people the ability to vote if they are a registered voter. And you seem to be talking about putting obstacles in their way to that. Absolutely not. I am asking you a question that do you believe 
that a person should be able to vote after the election day. Meaning, can you cast a ballot three days following the election? Although the death of George Floyd at the hands of the police was a shocking event, the fact is that these events are fortunately quite rare. According to statistics compiled by the Washington Post, the number of unarmed black men killed by police so far this year is eight. The number of unarmed white men killed by police over the same period of time is 11. And the overall numbers of police shootings have been decreasing. Nevertheless, every instance of excessive force is unacceptable and must be addressed appropriately through legal process, as is happening now in Minneapolis. But apart from the numbers, I think these events strike a deep chord in the black community because they are perceived as manifestations of a deeper, lingering concern that in encounters with police, blacks will not be treated even-handedly. They will not be given the benefit of the doubt. They will be treated with greater suspicion. Senator Tim Scott has recounted the numerous times he's been unjustifiably pulled over on Capitol Hill. And as one prominent black professional in Washington said to me, African-Americans often feel treated as suspects first and citizens second. And I think these concerns are legitimate. At the same time, I think it would be an oversimplification to treat the problem as rooted in some deep-seated racism generally infecting our police departments. It seems far more likely that the problem stems from a complex mix of factors which can be addressed with focused attention over time. And we in law enforcement must be conscious of the concerns and ensure that we do not have two systems of justice. This ongoing reckoning of policing continues across the country with new reports of alleged racial profiling incidents drawing important scrutiny. Stories that offer a factual contrast to emerging defense by Trump officials like Bill Barr, who denies systemic racism as evidence points to certain data. And he's been pointing to some data on a subset of police killings. And they don't agree that there's systemic racism in the police department. The fact is that these events are fortunately quite rare. According to statistics compiled by the Washington Post, the number of unarmed black men killed by police so far this year is eight. Barr may be arguing that he thinks eight is not a large number, but that same Washington Post source actually found 976 total people shot and killed by police in the past year, with black Americans killed at more than twice the rate of white Americans. So the disparities in killings are documented. But this also goes beyond horrific killings. The scrutiny on systemic racism does go, of course, beyond the most extreme thing an officer could possibly do, kill someone, to also probe how racial profiling and racism can infect many parts of policing, from when police choose to de-escalate or escalate, to when they give people a break on a technicality instead of throwing the book at them, to whom the police stop in the first place. Like this new video of Colorado police pulling over a black woman and taking some escalating measures like ordering four children at gunpoint to lie face down in the parking lot, leading to this scene. Those are children. You can hear and see yourself what happened. A witness describing the moments leading up to that stop. 
I saw a car next to me with four girls in it. Uh, feet were up on the dash. It was real cute. And next thing I know, the police pull up silently behind them and had guns drawn on the children. The officers say they were investigating a stolen vehicle. The department, though, has already apologized. They say this was mistaken identity. Here's reaction from two of the women in the car who were pulled over and handcuffed. That's police brutality. I don't give a damn when nobody say that's police brutality. It's like they don't care. Who am I going to call when my life is in danger? A life in danger. Now, we've been hearing these types of stories for decades in America. The documented concern that for many communities of color, it is the police who pose the danger. As your star has risen as a vice presidential possibility, so has scrutiny over your record and your past. Understandably, you've taken heat for this statement that you made back in 2016 upon the death of Fidel Castro. Let's put it up on the screen. The passing of the Comandante and Jefe, or Commander-in-Chief, is a great loss to the people of Cuba. But, Congresswoman, what many people may not know is that, in fact, you visited Cuba eight times during the 1970s. What was it about Castro and Cuba that you found so appealing at that time? And do you now regret your involvement and considerable time spent in a communist dictatorship? Before I move on, I want to ask you, uh, from our reporting at the end of the week, it seemed to be uh, Harris... Rice and Karen Bass moving up. Uh, what is your take after this weekend about the strengths of, of each and potential potential drawbacks? Yeah, I think the, the candidate we saw most on the defensive, of course, was Congresswoman Karen Bass. She was late uh, to the vice presidential search process. The vetting began a little bit later, and we're seeing uh, obviously some of the issues coming out. Her uh, past comments, her travels to Cuba, first and foremost among them, the Republicans, the Trump campaign seizing on them over the weekend. Also questions about the remarks she gave at a Church of Scientology event in her district. Kamala Harris, of course, has always been the betting favorite uh, since even before both individuals got into the presidential race. There's a seeming natural chemistry between them, a relationship that goes back. But the test that's being applied not just to Kamala Harris, but to everyone in this process is the question of whether or not they can be seen as a team player. We've seen questions raised about her ambition from Biden allies. That's provoked the charges of sexism. The campaign very concerned about that. We saw the campaign manager weigh in saying all uh, you know, women of ambition win and that the former vice president will choose somebody who is an ambitious woman in the end. Uh, and then, of course, Susan Rice, you know, um, Andrea, the, the relationship there that they forged in the Obama White House, so critical. Uh, they've worked in the trenches together. Uh, but the question there is how much of a campaign issue they allow to be brought in the issues of Benghazi, uh, and of course the unmasking debate, which the president and his team have really wanted to to jumpstart in the conversation. Well, the unmasking debate was a complete false flag, but uh, and as well as Benghazi, but also she has not run for elected office. But they will try to they will try to sully anyone who was chosen, of course. Uh, the former vice president did try today to clarify a statement. They got a lot of backlash yesterday uh, where he was saying that the Latino community is diverse, quote, unlike the African-American community. And he tried to say that he did not mean to suggest that the African-American community is a monolith. But uh, is this a problem the way he was articulating this? 
Well, I, I believe what he was trying to articulate was just in terms of voting patterns. But I, I know that he doesn't believe that we are a monolith because I've had these conversations with the vice president directly. And we've talked about the growing importance and voice um, of the progressive wing of the party fueled in large part by younger African-Americans. I do think obviously that it perhaps could have been expressed better, but I I know his heart and, and I know the conversations that I have had with him directly and what he's expressed to me about his appreciation of the diversity within the African-American community. And I I know how busy you are, but uh, I was really struck when I had a chance to listen to Michelle Obama's podcast yesterday, where she talked about uh, what she called a low-level depression that she's experienced uh, during the pandemic, uh, largely because of the experience of George Floyd's death, reliving a lot of the racism that she and President Obama encountered on their campaign and when they were first in the in the White House. Uh, uh, is, and it struck me that that, that is uh, that experience with all of these police cases, you've experienced them in, in Georgia, as you know. Um, that's something that a lot, millions of African-Americans, African-American women are feeling. That network is just fucking hot goddamn garbage. It is hot fucking garbage. But which one isn't? This is mostly CNN. This sounds like like they all fucking work for Biden. This is my sound Biden. I named it. Team Biden. When you politicize mass, well, you're, you can politicize physics. You can politicize gravity. You can politicize rainfall. Okay, when all when everything becomes politics, there's no and there's no reference point to anything. You're in a really bad, bad place. You know, the President Wolf has told us we're at war. We're at war, but uh, I'm going golfing. We're at war, but don't listen to those generals like Bricks and, and Fauci. We're at war, but but don't wear a helmet, uh, the equivalent of a helmet, a mask. We're at war, but don't trouble yourself. If you want to go to a restaurant or go to church, no problem. Um, thank God, if, if he had been in charge of D-Day, uh, we'd all be speaking German right now. I mean, it's a, a sad situation, what's going on right now, and I don't see any end in sight. Hopefully there'll be a therapeutic that comes out that could prevent people from getting really sick and dying. Hopefully there'll be a vaccine at some point uh, that will uh, ease this. But right now, it doesn't seem to have any end in sight. You see an end in sight right now? Oh, I do see an end in sight. It's in November, Wolf. And let me be very clear about this with all this business about, you know, voting and mail-in voting. Wolf, I will walk. I will crawl. I will slither. I will bike. I will hike. But I will be going to the polls to vote for Joe Biden because until and unless we replace this president and this administration, we're going to be having the same conversation every day. All right. That 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 is what this is about. This is about power. It's about removing this man who has no business being president, who is incapable of, of, of navigating us out of this crisis. And there is only one thing to do, and that is vote for Joe Biden, drive someone to the polls to vote for Joe Biden, raise money for Joe Biden, do a call for Joe Biden. Uh, but unless we change this administration, well, if we're going to be having the same conversation every night, and I repeat, I will walk, I will slither, I will hike, I will bike, I will do whatever I can to change this administration. Why do you think 
We welcome back to our broadcast U.S. Congressman Eric Swalwell, Democrat of California. Congressman, I want to get to um, what looks like a, a standoff at a terrible time for the country, but um, in the commercial break, some breaking news came through. Uh, U.S. intelligence officials confirming that Russia is actively working to denigrate uh, Joe Biden. And uh, if I get your first comments, and then actually let me read from, from what has yeah. been released about what Russia is up to as it relates to Joe Biden. Uh, we, this is from, I believe, the office uh, ODNI. Um, we assess that Russia is using a range of measures to primarily denigrate former Vice President Biden and what it sees as an anti-Russia establishment. Uh, here we go again, Nicole. Yeah. Preference for Donald Trump to be reelected, as is described in the statement, and they have a preference to use their resources to denigrate Joe Biden. And they are doing it through the U.S. Senate laundering this information by this this individual who's described who has publicly said that he is sending materials to Ron Johnson and Lindsey Graham so that they can try and tear down uh, Joe Biden. The members of the U.S. Senate are acting uh, as Russian uh, launderers of this. This is different because you have uh, in public reporting acknowledgments by this pro-Russia individual, uh, Andre uh, Durkacz, that he is sending information and materials to the Senate, uh, hacked and leaked uh, documents to the Senate to denigrate, to tear down uh, Joe Biden. And Ron Johnson and Lindsey Graham are all too willing to use it uh, in their naked ambition uh, to keep Donald Trump uh, in power. He is a kleptocrat. He came in to abuse executive power, to enhance his personal wealth, and then he went on to do all the typical things that a kleptocratic authoritarian leader does, which is purge agencies, pack courts, and bend the law so that he is, you know, in his view, no longer breaking it. That's why he has henchmen like Bill Barr. And one thing that makes Trump unique, because not all kleptocratic authoritarian leaders are the same, is his sadism, you know, which came through in Mary Trump's interview. But it's also been pointed out by a number of experts uh, on mental health and on authoritarian rule. There are no limits with him. That's so scary. If Donald Trump was the leader of an African nation that white people's name, white people couldn't pronounce, the international community would be looking into him for crimes against humanity. But when I read that report in Vanity Fair about how Jared Kushner just poofed a national testing plan because he thought only people in blue states would die from this disease as if people in Florida have never met people from New York. Um, what I see is a crime against humanity. And uh, what I would like at this point, since our, our American system has completely failed to hold Trump accountable in any way, I would like to see the international community start to come in and, and impose sanctions on our country and seriously think about hauling off some of our corrupt leaders to the Hague where they belong. Donald Trump is a reflection of who we are as Americans. And we have a culture and a society that rewards psychopathic behavior. But he's part of a larger cultural sickness where we reward psychopathic behavior. So it's, it's something we need to push back against in order to make sure we don't get another Donald Trump and that we get rid of this Donald Trump. We're not going to know on election night potentially who who the victor will be. And so I, I want to know what keeps you up at night.
Election Day just 89 days away, and across the country, some Republicans are saying they have become politically homeless in this political climate. As President Trump and Joe Biden compete for voters in Michigan, today we're focusing on Kent County. It's a mostly suburban county that has become more purple after years of being a moderate Republican stronghold. President Trump won it by a small margin back in 2016, and he needs to hang on to Republicans there if he wants to win Michigan again. NBC's Dasha Burns spoke with a panel of Republican voters who say they have soured on their party under President Trump. She joins us now from Grand Rapids. Dasha, what have you learned? Hey, Stephanie. Well, when it comes to the president's law and order message targeting uh, suburban areas like this one, the voters that I've talked to are not responding to that very well. In fact, with some, it's backfiring completely. Now, the folks I sat down with yesterday, I've been tracking since last November. And of course, so much has changed in all of our lives since then. And it has impacted their political views. Take Katie Morse. She's a mom of two, and she voted for Donald Trump in 2016. When I first met her, she was still open to voting for him again. But since then, that door has closed completely, in part because of his response to the pandemic, but especially because of his response to the Black Lives Matter movement. Take a listen to how she views his uh, campaign's messaging targeting suburban moms like her. Take a listen. We aren't, you know, suburban moms. We aren't 1950s housewives anymore. And to make us think that we're going to be, you know, this, you know, defund the police thing, and we're going to all of a sudden be overrun in our communities by all these bad people is is ludicrous. Stephanie, I've watched Katie get more and more angry over the last several months. And yesterday she told me she can't wait for November for, quote, this nightmare to be over. So quite a journey for, for Katie there, Stephanie. All right, Dasha, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, God, these fucking people, man. Yes, yes, Brian Seltzer. There are no fucking networks out there. None. They're all pro-Trump, you fucking git. Will Democrat accept election loss? New report says no. Not even going to read it. Is that even, do we need a report on that? Is that not just fucking the truth? They've never accepted 2016. They've regurged everything back up about Russia. We've hit every angle. The only thing I haven't heard lately was the impeachment. As we go into our woke phase in a bit, it's all COVID, COVID, COVID. Trump killed him. Trump killed him. Trump killed him. Our media has never accepted it. And they are Democrats, of course. No. I was talking to my sis and my mom the other day, and you can bet as sure as I'm a bald, fat guy. Biden won't concede. Now, the person who should not concede is Trump, because there's going to be 11 states that go against the Constitution and do the compact and go with the electoral, not electoral, but the popular vote. And that's against the Constitution. That's not how it's supposed to work. But they're going to do it anyway, and the media is not going to fucking bat an eye at it. They're going to say, oh, it's all good. It's no big deal. But the fact of the matter is, that's not how it fucking works. So they shouldn't be doing that. But they have outright said they're not doing it. We talked about that TIP program that's coming up. Or TIP organization, I'm sorry. That is literally already started. They will have lawyers fucking 
everywhere. They will fight every state. And then, as we tried to get another stimulus package to go through, of course, you couldn't get it to go through because the Dems wanted voting, money for fucking illegals, the whole nine yards. And, as we'll see in, in our woke section, Trump pushed it through. But surprisingly, there was only two, mind you, two journalists that had the temerity to challenge Pelosi on did you put push your hand too far? Did you overplay NPR and one lady on MSNBC, which really surprised me, she's an anti-fucking conservative person. And then we get NBC, who finally did a report on air about mail-in voting. As I sit here and bump my gum, gums, boys and girls, they still haven't counted all the votes in New York. It's an utter failure. So for a rare time on the show, here's the media actually doing their job. To give us a sense of where things stand, I'm joined by the Democrats' top negotiator. She is the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Madam Speaker, welcome back to the News Hour. So, in brief, where do things stand? We just heard that Secretary Mnuchin is saying you're aiming for a deal this week. Uh, what does it look like from your perspective? Well, Leader Schumer and I said at our uh, earlier uh, availability with the press that uh, we. Uh, all have agreed that we need to have an agreement. And we have to have an agreement, though, that faces the reality of the situation. We do believe that the White House has not really accepted the gravity of the situation, and that's why they're thinking in smaller ways than they need to. We have a situation where we're trying to save the lives, the livelihood, and the life of our democracy. Uh, We are making some progress. We are understanding each other better, exchanging paper to see in writing. Chuck Schumer and I, Leader Schumer and I, are legislators for many years. We understand when we have a challenge to face and we want to have a legislative solution, we have to know what we're talking about. And that's why we have to be precise about what we say and the impact it has. And really, we have a different point of view than the Republicans on this. So are you coming closer together on that all-important unemployment, federal unemployment benefits number? Democrats were asking for 600 a week to continue. Right. Republicans were saying 200. Are you somewhere in between? We were told no, maybe no, there's no in between. There's no in between. The fact is uh, that since we passed our bill, which was 11 weeks ago tomorrow, 3.3 million more people have gone on to the infected list of those infected. You know, 70,000 more people have died. And the Republicans said they were going to push the pause button. And they did, and then last week they came up with some piecemeal thing. So the, 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 we are not saying to the American people, more people are infected, more people are dying, more people are uninsured, more children are uh, hunger insecure, or food insecure, and guess what? We're going to cut your benefit. Well, Madam Speaker, the the I mean, with all due respect, you called it piecemeal. And yet what the Republicans were offering was a short term extension that would have allowed these uh, extra unemployment benefits to keep flowing. Democrats said no. Well, they would have been finished by now. 
they, they were talking about a few weeks. Actually, the fact is they didn't have anything that they could pass in the Senate on their own side. So if the press wants to say, well, they offered this, they offered that, they, you can't offer something you don't have. We have a bill. It's called the HEROES Act. It passed 11 weeks ago tomorrow. It would have saved lives. They have nothing. They can't even pa- They've said we have 20 members who won't vote for anything. So what we're talking, rhetoric, or we're talking reality about what one side and the other is offering. And if they wanted to offer some piecemeal thing for one week, that does not, you only do that when you're on the verge of closing, of passing a bill and having it signed into law. Otherwise, it's just showbiz. So I'm trying to understand if where the two sides are coming together. For example, uh, the Republican argument is that if the $1,200 they would give to millions of Americans uh, who need help right now would make up for some of that, uh, no. that, uh, that lesser amount in unemployment. No, that's so exactly it, what we that... had in the CARES Act. We had the $1,200 in the CARES Act, and we had the $600 in the CARES Act. So how does that make up for subtracting something? That doesn't even make sense on their part. And, I mean, and really, Speaker, we have to what get a... something done. But it doesn't help. Uh, we, we have to get something done. This is the gravity of the situation. We want to honor our heroes by supporting state and local government. We want to end this virus by having testing, tracing, treating. They said testing is overrated. Tracing they don't even believe in. And we want to put money in the pockets of the American people. We also have some other things we want to do to protect our democracy with voting, to protect the post office and what that means to our country, have strong OSHA law, and to feed our children. So these are largely our priorities. And, and, uh, and what they are saying is, well, we can't afford to do that. Well, let's find out what we can afford. What is a figure that we can agree to? Let's get it done as soon as we can so that we can get it out there. But let's not what about- uh, be misrepresenting about what we're presenting. Excuse me for interrupting. What about with regard to food aid? Democrats do have money in the HEROES Act uh, proposal for for food. Republicans don't. But when I talked to to Leader McConnell last week, he said the money they have in there that goes to schools would provide at least uh, school uh, meals for children. So that would make up uh, a significant portion of the food assistance that Democrats are talking about. Now I tell you this. In our bill, we have $67 billion for food, and and then a small percentage of that was called food and utility. Food, utilities, uh, water, like that. $67 billion. Over $60 billion of it is for food. In their bill, they have $250,000 for food. And, And his point was that the money that they have for schools would pay for school meals for many children. And in well, his words, this may anyway. be the most important. We have to do that anyway. We have to do that anyway. So, I mean, let, let's, we're far apart in terms of uh, our values, quite frankly. We're far apart in understanding the gravity of the situation. Do we, are we determined to find an agreement? Yes. We will find our common ground, but we, don't, we won't find it on the slim read of a piecemeal v- uh, bill uh, that, doesn't, that says to uh, our workers, you used to get 600, you're now going to get 200 because uh, the virus has intensified in its spread. 
The other point Republicans are making is they are now showing flexibility in money for state and local governments. This is, again, a difference. Democrats want more money. Republicans want a lot less. They are saying they're willing to show flexibility. And they're also saying a lot of the money that was passed in the spring, Madam Speaker, has not even been spent yet. Well, so if you want to be an advocate for them, there? Judy, if you want to be an advocate for them, no, I'm, let's know I'm, what the facts are. I'm playing are. devil's advocate no, here no, to ask you for your position. You know, I mean, the point is we have a bill that meets the needs of the American people. It's called the HEROES Act. Uh, they have not even, uh, they don't even want to do state and local. And when they do, it's very meager. And they want to revert to money from before. The money, much of the money that was allocated before is, uh, has been spent or allocated. A small amount has not because they want to see what we're doing in this bill. But that approach is no reason for us not to recognize. We have $915 billion for states localities, counties and the rest, tribal governments and territories. They have very little money that they're offering. And it is, you know, so what, what, it, when we have a chance and when we're allowed to show you what the different numbers are. But our record is clear. Our record is clear. We're there for America's working families. We're concerned that tens of millions of people have gone on the 19th straight month of people going on to, uh, uh, to unemployment insurance, 19th straight week of over 1 million people going on unemployment insurance. Children are food insecure by the millions, and they don't want to spend the money necessary to feed the children. Families are in fear of eviction. And they say, well, we'll extend the moratorium, but we won't put any money to help with that rent. And in terms of the $600, and we're going to cut your benefit. And that's how we're going to observe uh, this. Um, and again, we'll find our common ground. But I don't, I don't think in any way as a legislature, what, legislator that what they are proposing has any recognition of what is happening to the lives, the livelihood, and the life of our democracy. Yeah, so what I was asking about was money that had already been appropriated that hadn't been spent and whether that could be part of any solution no, here. That's money you know from another. before. That's money from before. And as I said, their contention another. that it hasn't been spent, it's been allocated and there's a small amount that they're waiting to see what we do here before they release. And, and again, trying to understand where the two sides may be coming together. As you know, they argue spending t so much money, the Democrats' $3 trillion is going to put the country into greater red ink, that that hurts future generations. They didn't um, seem to mind when they gave a big, gigantic tax cut uh, that added $2 trillion to the national debt so they could give 83 percent of the benefits to the top 1 percent. It's amazing how uh, uh, free and clear of the national debt they are when it comes to their rich friends and how exacting they are when a poor person who's out of work gets $600. So is there any conversation about rolling back any of those tax cuts? We're not doing that in this bill. Well, there's one we'd like to roll back. In the CARES Act, they put $150 billion uh, for wealthy people in our country having nothing to do with coronavirus. And it was retroactive for their tax taxes 
uh, in the past. Uh, we'd like to get rid of that. I don't think we'll have that chance. But when we address the issue of taxation in our country, we will do that in a way that is bipartisan, has sustainability, fairness, and, tra and transparency so the American people can see what is happening, rather than in the dark of night and the speed of light, a bill that gives 83% of the benefits to the top 1% and adds nearly $2 trillion to the national debt for our children to pay. And then to come around to us and say, how can we do all this money for food stamps? It's going to add to the national debt. So we have a big difference here. So when they're, you're putting forth, with all due respect to you, as you respected me, their piecemeal meager approach that doesn't even recognize the gravity of the situation. If they had recognized it, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in. Since our bill passed 11 weeks ago tomorrow, 3.3 million people, again, have gone onto the list of those infected. 70 million have died. That didn't have to happen. But bottom line, are you saying there could be a deal reached this week legislation passed next week. I hope so. That, that would be the plan. Yes. I mean, in other words, our differences are, uh, again, in our value systems. Uh, so in terms of this legislation, and Chuck and I are master legislators. We've been here a long time, know how to get bills done. We know the devil and the angels are in the details. That's why we're exchanging papers to see what they actually mean and intend to do rather than a conversation. Uh, but we have to have an agreement. And we will have an agreement, uh, but we're not going to um, uh, do it at the expense of America's working families on the, on the basis that, oh, it's going to add to the national debt. Everybody, the nat that chairman of the Fed, uh, uh, others have said, if we don't help now with the economy and stop the spread of this virus, the, the economic situation is only going to worsen, worsen. So not investing and making it safe for our children to go to school, our people to go to work, uh, our, our, the people we're giving this money to to inject demand into the economy so that the economy thrives, it's only going to make matters worse. So again, we, um, we feel very uh, proudful of the work that was done by our chairman uh, to bring us to this place uh, to help again, I'll say it again, save the lives, the livelihood, and the life of our democracy. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, we thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Judy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Middle ground is not Sophie's choice. How many children will be fed? how we're going to deal with uh, evictions and how many people will remain will be uh, relegated to eviction and homelessness. So when we're taught, this is a different kind of a negotiation. This isn't just about dollars. It's about values. And our bill was very precise in terms of, of uh, what the needs were and meeting those needs. Now, we can come down in terms of the length of time. For our food, for example, in the food, we have $67 billion for food and utilities and water. They have $250,000. billion, Speaker Pelosi, so understood, that, so but you, you have had, have, you've had hours of negotiation, Madam Speaker, right. and still no deal. Well, Did we you overplay your hand and your leverage? No, we didn't. We Did you overplay your hand? Your hand?
A stalemate on the big issues, though. Would you be open to a short-term extension of those unemployment benefits to start getting that critical no. aid to millions no, of Americans no, who no. say they need it right now? No. Not no, open so to a short-term deal? No, not open to a short-term deal. That's an excuse. That's someplace where the Republicans want to go and then say, we've done what we're going to do. We wash our hands. That, that, we've been there. We know we know what that's about. And why would we have to do I that? I guess the, all they have to do is say the big picture, the, uh, though. Yes, ma'am. The big picture, though, Madam Speaker, when there is so much at stake, don't you all have a responsibility to compromise and to come off of your two sides so that you can get something done for the American people, which just has not well, happened I'd like yet. you to take. Tonight, six weeks after the New York Democratic primary, congressional candidate Suraj Patel doesn't know if he won or lost because election officials have yet to announce a winner. It was just a complete mess of a system. The reason? Ten times more New Yorkers, a whopping 1.8 million, requested absentee ballots than did four years ago. Experts tell NBC News New York election officials were woefully unprepared. Governor Andrew Cuomo had tried to make the process easier by sending postage-paid envelopes with all requested ballots. But that ended up backfiring, because to be counted, ballots need to be postmarked with a date, something the post office doesn't usually do for prepaid metered mail. So those ballots, thousands of them, were not counted. You are not entitled to a perfect election in America, but you are entitled to a free and fair one. Patel, who's trailing by 3,700 votes, sued to have more ballots without postmarks counted. Overnight, a judge ruling at least 1,000 disputed ballots must be included. And there were other issues. 33,000 ballots mailed out to voters the day before Election Day, meaning they'd never make it back in time. We have to be able to say we messed it up. New York election officials say they were doing their best under difficult circumstances. But that hasn't stopped President Trump, a critic of mail-in voting, from using the New York election mess to make his point. It's been a total disaster. They have, they're six weeks into it now, they have no clue what's going on. How are you going to do that for an entire nation? Yeah, that's a rarity that I can play that on the show. But it's been happening since day one. The media knows the left's so extreme, you didn't know about the gun bills they passed. You didn't know that they wanted to give illegal immigrants all fucking citizenship. You didn't know about going to get rid of the filibuster so they can just do 51 votes for all this crazy shit. You didn't know what they were slipping in. Back in the day when Republicans did this under Obama, they called it poison pills so shit couldn't pass. They excoriated the Republicans for playing politics and not caring about the American people for everything from hurricane aid to fucking everything. But yet that's all the left has done and that's why they couldn't get a stimulus package. So Trump does an EO on just unemployment. And as we'll see in Woke, they didn't like it. For prep, here's Frito. Then there's saliva, click, click, boom, and we're going to get woke. Now, we had assumed the president was refusing to help us with testing because he was making a political calculation. But regrettably, 
we may have been wrong. Today, this president gave us reason to believe that his judgment may not just be bad, it may be impaired. Did you hear this? He's going to do things that nobody ever would ever think even possible. Take away your guns, destroy your Second Amendment, no religion, no anything, hurt the Bible, hurt God. He's against God. Those are the rantings of someone shouting at the sky and hoping for spare change. A man responsible for my and your family. If this comes down to a battle with Biden about mental acuity, I don't know that that's a race he wants to run. There very well could be something going on here, even though this president is desperately trying to prove there isn't. And this is desperate. Then you go, person, woman, man, camera, TV. They say, that's amazing. How did you do that? I do it because I have, like, a good memory, because I'm cognitively there. Biden has confirmed he hasn't taken a cognitive test along the lines of what they give people to see whether or not they are suffering from Alzheimer's. Here's his response. No, I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. Look, the president has raised a really important issue. I had assumed that he wasn't doing what is so obvious in this pandemic, what is being told him by the people around him on the task force, Health and Human Services, Department of Homeland Security, People coming to him saying, rapid testing, Brett Giroir, I need more help with rapid testing. That's going to be the future. Seeing the UK, they're not doing great, I know, but apples to apples on speed of testing, they're ahead of us. I had assumed that it was about a political calculation, but what if the truth is this president doesn't have the ability to calculate? Looking through that lens... Maybe that's why all this crazy talk comes out of his face. Maybe that's the answer.
I was up in my room, I let the stereo blaze on Saturday. When kids go out and play. I was up in my room, I let the stereo play. It's all With the president's executive action, that crucial aid could be tied up in court for months. Congress, not the president, controls federal spending. Mr. President, when when will this relief get in the hands of Americans that need it? What date? We think it's going to be very rapid. We want it to be very rapid. It's going to be distributed in a way that, uh, whichever the fastest way, there are various methods, and it will be rapidly distributed. But you're signing an executive order today, and Americans want to know when they're going to see this relief. Very soon. They're going to see it very soon. Look. Very soon. 30 million right Americans are out Excuse of work, Excuse me. There it is right there. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Democratic leader Chuck Schumer are calling the president's executive actions here weak and narrow, saying it does nothing to increase testing or help reopen schools, and that if the president was serious about wanting to help Americans, he would return to the negotiating table. So these executives order smart, executive orders are smart politics in that it makes the president look like he's taking action when Congress won't, or is there going to be a problem here potentially when Americans don't get relief quickly? I think what we're seeing right now is a game of chicken. Rachel did some good questioning of the president uh, right there. If you look at the substance, there's only one actually one executive order. The others are just presidential memoranda that he signed. Uh, there are real questions about whether or not the president can spend the money that Congress has not allocated for these purposes, whether or anything can happen quickly. So I think this is designed to put pressure on the Democrats to stay at the negotiating table and make more compromises. Democrats, as you saw in their response, uh, feel that they're in a fairly strong position right now, and they think that the pressure is going to be on the president to come back to the negotiating table. But the bottom line for people who are not getting their unemployment assistance right now, this is not going to happen anytime fast. Well, you know, you call it a game of chicken, but for many Americans, it's not a game at all. I am starting to regret my vote for Trump. 
I know. You guys, I know. I can overlook, and I'm okay with the blatant racism and the crass sexism and the deranged narcissism and pandering to Nazis and supporting pedophiles and proudly bragging about being a sexual predator and openly cheating your employees and mocking the disabled and praising murderous dictators and the constant pathological lying, the petty vindictive cruelty, the staggering ineptitude, the unapologetic corruption, the nepotism, the mob ties, encouraging violence against those who question your authority, the theft of our tax dollars to pay off your mountain of debt and or go golfing. Did I mention the relentless lying? You're a liar. Being a white nationalist, demonizing immigrants, the obvious disregard of the Bill of Rights, lying about whether Russia attacked our election when you knew all along it had, then lying about lying about it, the collusion with our sworn enemy and the sworn enemy of democracy, your dereliction of duty, your treasonous activities. Educators across the country fear that large COVID-19 outbreaks in districts planning in-person classes this fall one teacher in Oklahoma addressed her concerns in an op-ed for USA Today, writing, and we're quoting, Oklahoma teachers are as tough as they come. Some have sheltered their students as a tornado ripped the school building from over their heads. Now the man I gambled on to be president is asking us to risk our health and our very lives. The odds are most definitely not in our favor. Nancy Shively is a special education teacher in the Skyatook School District near Tulsa, and she joins me now. Uh, Nancy, good to have you on this morning. Uh, you spoke you. strongly and, and with feeling in this editorial, uh, and you say you're haunted by your vote for President Trump in 2016 because you fear that now, uh, with the pandemic, you may have signed your own death warrant. warrant. That, that's a remarkable thought to express. I explain how you came to that view. Well, just watching um, the failure of leadership in our country, uh, beginning with the president, over the course of this pandemic, it's, it's not just my death warrant I might have signed, but there's 150,000 Americans who are dead because of this. And, um, you know, I have to take responsibility for my personal vote uh, that enabled that. I wonder in this environment when, when folks stick their neck out, stick their necks out, right, and, and make comments like this on this president, that they're often attacked. Uh, what's the reaction, Ben, uh, to, to writing this well, op-ed? Yeah. So. Well, listen, it, ta it takes backbone, and, and the, the, no, that, that's lacking in many quarters in this country today. <laughs> You know, for over four years, I have said that if he said A, and they told him he should do A, and then he did A, they would want B. And ABC and the rest, that's exactly what they did. They would, if they could find something to bitch about, they're going to do it because they can't support him on anything. If Obama would have done this, like he did with DACA, it would have been... He's above politics. He cares about the American people and those that are unemployed in this country. Now the problem's going to be for people that have dropped off unemployment because it wasn't extended. Can they get back on? Like my wife's one of them. Do we really need the money? No, but it's a, a she kind of deserves it because she didn't get a pension after 22 fucking years. But will she be able to get it because her time was extended and then it went away by Tennessee laws? So now we have to find out if she can get back in the program. And what is the program? Well, now it's 
on top of whatever your state is. So like in the state of Tennessee, it's like 275 a week, but then you get 675 a week with the EEO through the end of the year. But that still doesn't take care of the stimulus checks that some people need. And it's because only two networks will report the facts briefly that it's the Dems. They want to vote by mail. I mean, I would say the conservatives are all in because they think it's ridiculous in some parts. But who is stopping this? The left or the right? It's the left. Because it's never just about what they're doing. Their whole modus operandi since Barack Hussein Obama was elected is never let a crisis go to waste. Get all the crazy shit you can. And since the House has turned down, they have gone crazy overload. Every extreme fucking thing they can pass, they pass it. It has no hope of going through the Senate, but if they win the Senate, all that shit goes through. On a 51, not on a 60. Other crazy shit. Tim Young, the left on Sturgis biker rally. Everyone's spreading COVID. It's a super spreader. See if you spot a, spot a problem. There's all sorts of pictures with people with masks. It's a crock of shit. But they can't have that. It's okay to have full block parties. It's okay to fucking shoot people at block parties. We're not going to report that shit. But if you're a bunch of white dudes on Harley, oh, fucking, we're on the case. I don't know how many times I heard super fucking spreader. Then you got Igor Bobik. He's a HuffPo reporter. Real journalist here. On Earth 2, the administration successfully brought the virus to heal by July. Economies recovering. People are going back to work. Kids are going back to school. Congress has no need to spend more money because we beat the virus. The conventions were reduced. Go on. I'm also sitting on a beach somewhere, not banging my head against the wall in the Senate basement. He's not alone. WAPO reporter. Let's ponder the most played out question of the last four years. But could you imagine if Obama had broken up a congressional stalemate over funding by simply signing an executive order and saying it was so? Momo will respond to this dickweed. Colby, what the fuck is that you do all day? Because you clearly don't know how to gather facts like a real journalist. Jesus fucking Christ, allow me to help you. For years, Obama said he had no authority to give temporary legal status to undocumented immigrants. When Congress didn't act, he suddenly decided he had executive authority to do that. He called it DAPA. Guess which version of Obama was right? champ there's a supreme court opinion on it even you're welcome next time try doing your actual job instead of crowdsourcing your ignorance the supreme court disagrees but colby is just making shit up pretend like she meant to do it that which is much more pathetic than just admitting ignorance and deleting your idiotic tweet seriously why on earth is funding meaningful distinct for uh, some other unconstitutional act i don't need congress i got my pen and my phone. Do we remember that? I do. And I remember the media jerking off with buckets of KY over that shit. He's a real president. He cares about the American people. New York City health official resigns. Chides de Blasio, ABC, CBS, spike their own report. In a series of t- Tuesday afternoon tweets, the ABC News Twitter account informed readers of breaking news. New York City Health Commissioner Dr. Orixis Barbot resigned her post letter chiding far-left Mayor Bill de Blasio handling of the coronavirus crisis. But when ABC World News Tonight aired it, they didn't. They spiked it. Similarly, CBS didn't air it 
As for NBC, they didn't write an online story, and they also skipped the Barbara resignation during their nightly news. It was understandable why the activists masquerading as journalists would keep this development from the millions of evening time viewers. It goes against the narrative that New York was the COVID success story that defined President Trump. Dr. Oxus Barbot resigned as New York City Health Commissioner, saying in a resignation letter that the health department incomparable disease control expertise was not used to the degree it could have been. ABC's Aaron Katzerly, Aaron Shoemaker, and Mark Crudel wrote in their article, while ABC noted that a resignation letter did not have criticism of Bellasio, they used those quotes sparingly while doing damage control for the leader of their city. I leave my post today with deep disappointment, a resignation said, taking aim at de Blasio. Our experts are world-renowned for their epidemiology, surveillance, and response work. The city would do well to use them, but they never did. But why would they? They reported the checkpoints as, yeah, just doing checkpoints. Saw it on today's show, briefly. Because they know what the American people think. Checkpoints? Really? You do checkpoints so people can't leave when you're a hot zone. New York was a hot zone. New York Times, what was their coverage? America, your individualism is to blame for Corona. The American tradition of prioritizing individualism over government restrictions hindered containment. Leonard made a few rare concessions that Democrats in the World Health Organization have had their share of failures, but mostly put the burden on Trump. Some Democratic-leaning voters and less political Americans in turn have decided that as everybody is not taking the virus seriously, they will not either. Yeah. But while we're not covering shootouts of the OK Corral in Chicago and Washington, D.C., we still have time and hearings for Democratic representatives to bash Christians, which was something they did the moment it broke out of China. The parties in the case cited numerous cases of church gatherings with people unmasked, singing, chanting, and so on, that became super spreader events. There is no religious immunity to this disease, and there is no free exercise exemption to universal public health orders. Now, as for protest, let us not confuse the issue. Whether your protest is a right-wing protest, like Boogaloo and Proud Boys and anti-public health order protesters, like the ones who threatened the life of Governor Whitmer and tried to shut down the Michigan legislature and succeeded in doing so, or it's the nonviolent assemblies of millions of people with Black Lives Matter across the country, the kind endorsed by our late beloved colleague John Lewis, the champion of nonviolence, the same rules must apply. If a jurisdiction has a six-foot rule and a masking rule, which I assume and hope every one of them does, it applies equally to everybody. And the preliminary results suggest, and I know because I've been a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests, is people are not getting infected there as much because they are observing those rules. Obviously, when you go to an anti-public health order, anti-masking protests, like the kinds that shut down the legislature in Michigan, most people are not wearing masks and are not observing the public health protocols they've come to try to destroy. So if you're really concerned about the protests and people getting sick there, and we should be, then we have to look at the use of tear gas and pepper spray. Everybody saw uh, the uh, the secret 
uh, federal officers who were assembled by uh, Attorney General Barr in Oregon remove the mask of a naval veteran and spray pepper spray right in his face. That's extremely dangerous to, to remove someone's mask and then to have them sneezing and coughing and so on. So it's the use of those chemical irritants, I think, which is the real danger. But Admiral... The party is silent. Science. That is based on nothing. Nothing. None of that's fucking true. You don't know. L.A. was the only city that had the fucking balls to say, hey, listen, it's spreading because of all these goddamn protests. But he got everything in. The boogaloo white supremacist Nazis who got temperature checked as they stormed the fucking building. That, that's that's what we have for Democrats. That's all they do. They don't take accountability. They don't speak in fact. They speak in fucking bumper sticker to get people to vote. Nevada governor, listen to this fucktard. Uh, stay home Nevada was not shy in cheering on protesters, but he went after a one event that happened there. To the protesters, we hear you, we're listening, and more importantly, we invite you to be part of the constructive solution and healing our community desperately needs. Respect and defend your right to protest, but please express yourself peacefully. For those who will be put out on your streets asking to be seen and heard, I thank you. Please do not do so safely, lawfully. We know that the last few incidents outdoor outside agitators have co-opted your event. It's never them. It's those agitators, which are probably Boogaloo Brothers, which I don't even know what the fuck that is, but okay. Know that we are aware of this, and I was deeply disheartened and dismayed to see the callous and dangerous behavior displayed last night in Las Vegas at a Trump campaign event. I am equally dismayed that the campaign and business defies the state of Nevada emergency directive, which limit public gatherings to 50. Yet, President Trump's own campaign has ignored the expertise and state law. This campaign event put more people at risk, blah, blah, blah. I'm calling on Trump. I'm calling on Trump. This is horrible. La, da, 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 da. Nevada GOP. If we can gamble and protest, let us pray. There's nothing callous about worship. It was a church event. But once again, you can't have church events. Then we got comfortably smug. Arizona improving is bad for Biden. He's rooting for the virus to get worse because he thinks it helps him politically. That is sick and deranged. It tells you everything about Dems right now. They don't care about the country. They just want power. Biden wants to lie about Doug Ducey, but facts are facts. Number of inpatient beds for COVID patients have dropped to its lowest points in June 17th. Number of ICU beds lowest in June 20th. Notice the Dem playbook, ignore Cuomo bloodbath, blame Republican governors. They don't care Cuomo murdered elderly people in New York by the thousands. And the media is an accessory in the cover-up. The percentage of inpatient visits with COVID-like illnesses has dropped from four consecutive weeks from 21% to 7 for the most recent week. That's the lowest since May 24th. But it's politics. New York Post. Teachers bring coffins, guillotines while protesting New York City school reopening plan. Because the union's huge for them. So why would we? Then you got all these mass Nazis. Daniel Moscato. I was just threatened with assault at a Kroger in Louisville because I asked another customer to wear a mask. She refused. A woman. But he wanted to get his internet fame. He wanted to go global. Part of the manager, founder, and talked to her, but refused to do anything more. His name is Andy, and he does not want Twitter to know that. 
I didn't get a pick of the woman who threatened me, but it's all on camera. Kroger has footage. I asked the manager about the footage, too. He blew me off. Kroger's uh, un un unacceptable. Target Tory. Dear Andy, I didn't want the Twitter world to know my name either. Turns out it isn't half bad. If you need someone to talk to, I'm here for you. Can we stop using social media to shame people? Then he goes back and attacks her. You do realize the person threatened to beat me up, right? I'm not just about refusing to wear a mask. I didn't feel safe shopping while they're still in the store. This is a woman, you fucking pussy. I didn't want to get physically hurt beside the virus, Ricks. A Kroger cop was right there and did nothing. Police were already there. They were an off-duty cop hired by Kroger at security stand right next to us. They just didn't care. I live with an essential worker. I asked if customers wear a mask who then threatened to beat me up while I was buying groceries at Kroger. I brought the threat to manage security. They didn't care. These fucking people. They're the same people that used to say live and let live, let people be themselves. Now they want to tell you how to fucking shit. So here's a make fun of Karen's montage I found. And we're going into everything that's fucking racist. And we're fat with Veshi, MSDNC, and Harley Papa. Harlow, Poppy Harlow. Let's say that right. Poppy Harlow wants everybody judged by their skin color. My best friends are black. I'm a fucking Democrat. <laughs> You may be asking yourself, what is a Karen? A Karen is a stereotypical name associated with a rude, obnoxious, and insufferable middle-aged white woman who usually is a Hillary supporter. It's not the racist white person who's in the Ku Klux Klan that we have to worry about. It's the white, liberal, Hillary Clinton supporter walking her dog in Central Park. In 2020, don't be a Karen. Vote Trump. New Journey Pack is responsible for the content of this advertising. Paid for by NewJourneyPack.org and not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. This morning, an open letter calling out America's most powerful leaders for a lack of swift action to address racial disparity, signed by more than 50 chief diversity officers from big companies like Twitter, Nike, Intel, Zoom, Coca-Cola, and Google. They write, quote, you expressed your commitment to ensuring racism-free work environments, frequently calling for a renewed focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Collectively, however, we must share our consternation that it took thousands of protests sparked by unconscionable incidents of racial animus to garner the attention of many leaders. Denying, minimizing, or ignoring racism is no longer an option. And we are hearing a resounding message from the many voices that are speaking out globally from your C-suite to the entry levels of your organizations. The message that daily racism in your black employees lot live with is killing them literally and figuratively. Joining me, let me begin with you. How is it that we are in America in 2020 and there is not today a single black woman leading any one of the Fortune 500 companies? That's just an example of what's going on here. 
And how are you actually going to affect change? That is a perfect example of what I would call systemic racism as it is expressed in corporate America. Me uh, on this show uh, that there, there's a real problem with corporate America, that corporate, the culture of corporate America is white. And you know he wrote in the New York Times, it's not just about what you're going to give, it's what will you give up. Do you believe that more white leaders need to be stepping aside like Alex Ohanian did on the board of Reddit and saying, I want a black person to take my spot? Thank you for what you're doing to lead on this, Melanie Parker, Dr. Cole. I'm going to tweet out the full letter because you have seven concrete recommendations. This week, the state of Michigan took a unique step towards combating racism. The state's governor, Gretchen Whitmer, signed an executive order declaring racism a public health crisis. Implicit bias is simply an unconscious uh, preference that exists in each one of us. And as public servants, we have a duty to understand how those tendencies impact our actions on the lives of others. The training is required for both existing employees and must be completed within 60 days for newly hired employees. This is not alleging that people are racist. It's recognizing that everyone has biases from where we grew up or how we were raised. It's just a fact. NBC News is reporting that Governor Whitmer is still in serious consideration for Joe Biden's vice presidential pick. Have you had a conversation with the governor about what would happen if she decides to or if she's chosen to run with Vice President Biden? Yeah, it's true. But what's a big deal right now is the things that we've been focused on. And so um, while we are certainly both supportive of the vice president, we're supportive of the change that we know that he'll bring to Washington, regardless of who his running mate is. We're focused on doing things in Michigan, like making sure that we're dealing with the racial disparities in COVID-19 and health care overall. And so with that, I think that shows the kind of leader that Gretchen Whitmer is. She's focused on the task at hand always. So if that task is at a higher level, including vice president, she'll be ready for that, too. Time after time, the Trump administration has tried to silence insider accounts that show how dangerous it is to have Donald Trump in the White House surrounded by enablers, daring filmmakers who were granted unbelievable access to follow ICE agents in early 2017. I'm fascinated by they, how they got this access. Donald Trump was just beginning to implement his racist and inhumane immigration agenda. Over three years, Saul Schwartz and Christina Clusiao captured the unconscionable and unbounded cruelty of Donald Trump's immigration policies. This all exposes how the Trump administration seeks to inflict maximum pain on immigrants through a bureaucratic system filled with falsehoods. The documentary shows that the administration's policy of deterrence is a political lie used to validate violence against immigrants. After the break, the two filmmakers who captured all of this suffering will join us to talk about what has become one of the darkest chapters in American history. They wanted to do something under the Obama administration, and they said no. And so when Trump got elected, we decided to go back to them and ask them again if they'd be interested, and this time they said yes. Yeah, it was a... Uh... And so they thought so, it was a better idea to do this after Trump was elected? Yeah, I think the agency was coming under a lot of heat. They understood. Was there at any point um, empathy that you had for the job they had to do, or, or did they come across as the instruments of a racist government policy? So in our zeal to somehow make everybody equal, 
We keep running into the same things with the left where it's just, we're going to judge everybody by their skin, not the character. Google, black owned. Google unveils program to identify business owners by the race. You know, the U.S. Black Chamber reclaimed the net. I mean, Jesus Christ, we're in- installing things based on race. That isn't racist because those people are black, supposedly. But I'm pretty sure identifying people by their skin color is pretty fucking wrong. Wesley Wapo. I've told everyone I don't have strong, full-formulated opinion on this because I don't. But I just encountered the capitalized black and white in the wild. And yeah, I'm not sure that this is it, guys. It's been half an hour and my senses are still offended by capital white. What if all that energy has been spent getting newsrooms to hire some black people? Phew. These tweets brought out the racists. Because people attacked him for being stupid. CNN, that video served as my final confirmation that I was doing the best thing for my life by departing the U.S. permanently. Demetria Brown is one of many African Americans leaving the U.S. for many reasons, including racism and fear of police brutality. They didn't run it on their air. They ran it on TV and the entire fucking world went, are you fucking shitting me? Mexico, where they chop people's heads off. Yeah. Good job, CNN. I'll read one thing. I walk by police with guns in Puerto Viala. They smile and wave, no fear. That's fine and all, but how is one person's experience held up like this? Will CNN feature an article about someone who moved to China to seek democracy? Since I posted this, some folks have told me that the town in Mexico she moved to, Puerto Viala, is a resort town. Claiming this town represents Mexico is claiming Key West is America. And he's spot on. American progress. If America's ever going to win on climate change, it must first break its addiction to fossil fuels and racism. Yeah, there you go. And then we have Daily Mail Online. Some children find spending time in nature distressing because it can trigger feelings of despair linked to climate change. Sound the dread alarm. Leftists are ruining childhood. They won't rest until everyone is miserable as they are. Isn't that the fucking truth? But they get Hollywood. They get big companies. They get everybody to go in. DC Stargirl reveals leftist fantasy of using mind control to produce liberal policies. Whatever they're going to make people believe in, they call it the new constitution. They want to combat global warming oh wait they want to force people to they're going to force people to what force them to embrace solar and wind power they're going to eliminate discrimination over race religion sexual orientation you're kidding me oh and universal health care that sounds good Is that not good? Hey, Pat, are you sure we're on the right side? That literally hurt my fucking spleen listening to. Are you fucking shitting? Don't they get it? The more they push the shit, the less people watch. Who's going to watch a hot mess like that? But it's a cult. Blacklist. Oxford director says public service to take down conservative sites. 
Search engine SEO, we're boosting pages and websites, which is suggested we're biased and misleading. The overwhelming majority of junk news and disinformation domains rely on major advertising platforms to monetize their pages. And 61% of junk news and disinformation sources use Google Ads, wrote the study. Emily Taylor, Lisa Marie Neutert, Stacey Hoffman, and Philip N. Howard. Howard, director of the Oxford Internet Institute, was quoted in the New York Times as saying, they are hucksters, fraudsters, peddling misinformation. It would be a public service to take them down. He also told the Times that Google and Amazon should think about making a blacklist that blocks websites which share false and misleading information, which is anything we don't agree with. Just like masks. We will be the fascist. No free will. They don't believe it anymore. They lost an election they were supposed to win. Now they're going into overdrive. Teen Vogue. We should cancel rent outright as this pandemic ranges. And we should work towards a world where landlords no longer hold this sort of power over people's lives. Everything is free. Everything should be free. Who the fuck are you to demand me to pay to live in your place? I pay for my mortgage because I decided to buy it and I signed a contract. I chose to purchase a house because I didn't want to pay people anymore. And I bought a house that was very modest so that I, when I was an old fucker, I wouldn't have to worry about a rent that would be exorbitant. Because you have a thing called taxes. And every year your taxes go up. That's what I chose to do. But these people really are, I mean, it is, all I can hear when I listen to Tearing Away is this generation. That's their theme song. The chorus. I don't care about anybody but me. That's all they care about is themselves. And somehow, some way, every entity in our world is bought in that those people's opinion really matter. NASA, as we work to identify and address systemic discrimination and inequality in all aspects of the scientific community, we're re-examining the use of unofficial terminology for cosmic objects, which cannot be, cannot, can be not only insensitive, but actively harmful. But it's the bubble. When you live all day and all you hear over and over is this crazy liberal shit. Everybody thinks, well, I need to do that because I don't want to get canceled. I don't want to get in trouble. And our woke of the woke. It's not a soundbite, but I'm going to play the bumper ever. This is the story to top all stories. This is my last podcast. Well... My gosh, what can I say except, Debbie, you're going to Paris, and this is the final answer heard all around the world. He's won a million dollars. If I could play the drums and have a drum roll. Kindergarten cop pulled from Portland Theater after complaints and romanticized over policing. 
Former Arnold Schwarzenegger, governor of former California governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, delivers a speech as one planet summit in Balone Bound Court was the picture they put, and now he's a bad guy. Portland theaters canceled an upcoming screening of Arnold Schwarzenegger comedy Kindergarten Cop after people complained the movie sympathized with law enforcement. The Northwest Film Center had planned to show the 1990 film shot in Astoria for its importance in Oregon filmmaking as part of its summer drive-in series at Zadell Yards, but it was called off after Portland author Louis Levine fired off a series of tweets. The Willamette Week first reported there's nothing entertaining about the presence of police in schools, which feeds a school-to-prison pipeline in which African-American, Latinx, and other kids of color are criminalized rather than educated. Miss Leavenworth wrote, criminalizing of children increases dramatically when cops work in schools. She argues, yes, kindergarten cops only a movie, so are Birth of the Nation and Gone with the Wind, goddammit, because that's the same thing. <laughs> but we recognize films like those are not good family fun. They're relics of how pop culture feeds racist assumption. Kindergarten cop romanticized over policing in the U.S. The Northwest Film Center responded to Miss Levine's tweet, writing that it would instead show a second screening of John Lewis's Good Trouble. Yeah. Due to overwhelming demand, one person... We've done this second blah, blah, blah. The additional showing on our assist replaced Kindergarten Cop, which is chosen for its film importance in Oregon filmmaking history. The Film Center added, after discussions with staff and community members, one person. However, we agree that this moment in history, John Lewis, Good Trouble, is the right film to open this year's driving series. Miss Levine appeared to reject the gesture, responding, I think what you meant to type was, yes, we made a grave error in not realizing the implicit racism in that programming decision. We apologize and are rethinking you were making our programming decisions thereafter. How deep a white normative hole will Northwest Film Center keep digging? And that's the cake right there, baby. That's the cake. The icing was what it was. It's not about gestures. It, you can put up black live stories and all this shit until you submit to the cult. Until you bow, until you give up all your wealth, until you admit that all white people are racist, white is bad. They're never happy. That person's a piece of fucking filth. They're more racist than any racist you ever met. And unfortunately, our entire media is that person. Which takes us to This Is America. This is going to seem like a really weird soundbite for This Is America. But if you listen to the media right now, this race is over. It is Hillary 2.9. Biden's going to win. It's a landslide. The Senate and the House will be all Democrats. You can go fuck yourself. Get rid of your guns. You're going to abort your babies till they're in college. Just get on with it. But Steve Kornacki says, this shit looks identical. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. We've got Biden at 334 right now, Trump only at 125. So what are the changes? Six states here. 
six states that Trump won in 2016 that we now have leaning to uh, the Biden column. That is Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, those big three Midwest states that Trump was the first Republican to carry in three decades. All three of those now over on the Biden side, then Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, six states there. And also, by the way, there's that one congressional district in Maine, the second congressional district in Maine. Remember, they give out electoral votes by district there. Trump won one of those districts in 2016. We have that over on the Biden side. So that adds up to a gain there of 112 electoral votes for Biden from 102 from where Hillary Clinton landed in 2016. So those are the states Trump's law. Look, nobody's talking about this one being a 49 state landslide, but... Some very interesting things are happening with this electoral map. Again, at least right now, I want to take you through them. So what you have here, these are basically how the states voted in 2012, but we've taken five of them and we've made them gray. What are these five gray states? These are basically Rust Belt states. These are industrial Midwest states that Donald Trump thinks he can flip. They were blue states in 2012. If you look at Trump's strategy, if you look at the blue collar voters he's going after, these are the kinds of states he thinks he can flip and get to 270. So the first question is, how is he doing in these states that are the most promising for him to flip? And then there's an additional four here, Texas, Georgia, Ohio, Iowa. And again, these were solid Trump margins in 2016, all moving to the undecided, to the toss-up column right here. Remember, Trump won Iowa by nearly 10 points in 2016, eight points uh, in Ohio, nine points in Texas, five points in Georgia, all four of those states now, again, not in Trump's column, not in Biden's column, not in Trump's column. We've got them in the toss-up column right now. And additionally, if you see that gray in the middle of the map, Nebraska, like Maine, gives them out by a congressional district. There's a district uh, in Omaha. We've got that as a toss-up right now, too, a district that Trump had won in 2016. So the only movement you're seeing on this map from 2016, we have a poll out of Pennsylvania. This is a brand new poll. This came out a couple hours ago. NBC News, Marist. Well, look at this. A double-digit lead for Hillary Clinton in Pennsylvania. Hardly the first double-digit lead for Hillary Clinton in Pennsylvania. This is the third one we've seen in a week for her. So Donald Trump, Pennsylvania is a big target, but all the evidence we have right now says Pennsylvania is still favored to be a Democratic state. What about Ohio? We have a brand new poll out of Ohio. Donald Trump doing a little better here, but he is still down in Ohio, a five-point gap. So again, right now, Donald Trump targeting Ohio just like he's targeting Pennsylvania, but he's not there right now. Clinton's still leading in Ohio. Another one, brand new NBC Marist poll out of Iowa today. Again, a little bit closer, but a four-point lead for Hillary Clinton. This is supposed to be a ripe target for Donald Trump. He had his convention. He's had chances here. He was out there in the, for the caucuses earlier this year. He is still trailing in this poll in Iowa. Closer, he could turn it around. But again, for right now, is Donald Trump ahead in Iowa? Not in this poll. We don't have new polls today, but Wisconsin, Michigan, these are other states. Donald Trump has talked about flipping with the Rust Belt strategy. We have not seen a poll that puts him ahead in these states. So again, the burden is still on Donald Trump to show that he can do something Mitt Romney and a whole bunch of other Republicans over the last generation or so couldn't do, and that is actually win these states. That's the first thing that's going wrong for Trump. You know, Trump campaign has talked about Minnesota, you know, Clinton state in 16, trying to make it a Trump state in 20. We're not seeing that movement now. They've talked about that in Nevada, in New Mexico, uh, New Hampshire. They've picked a number of states. You're not seeing any movement from what were the Clinton states in 16 to Trump in 20. But you're seeing a lot of movement on this initial map from the Trump states in 16, either to undecided to toss up 
or to Biden. And, and right now, Katie, again, that's just basically that's what the polling's showing. We're here all the time talking about there's a poll in uh, Michigan. There's a poll in Texas. When you put it all together at this point, this is what it looks like. Brand new numbers out of North Carolina. North Carolina was a Mitt Romney state in 2012. Well, right now in this poll, Hillary Clinton has the lead. Very close. Certainly Donald Trump could still win it. I'd call it a toss-up state, but we have seen polls putting Hillary Clinton ahead there. It is possible Hillary Clinton could end up flipping North Carolina, making it a blue state. Trump's problem, though, gets a lot worse than North Carolina. Look at this. Georgia, new poll, seven-point lead here for Hillary Clinton. Not the first poll that we've seen putting her ahead in Georgia. This is a state that last went Democratic back in 1992. Again, Donald Trump could still take Georgia, but Hillary Clinton certainly has a chance to flip Georgia. All this talk about Trump turning blue states red, we could see the opposite happening with Hillary Clinton having a double-digit lead nationally. But it's not just North Carolina. It's not just Georgia. Look at this. This came out just about two hours ago. Kansas. Kansas. One of the most Republican states in the country. The margin here was more than 20 points for Mitt Romney in 2012. Donald Trump leading by just five points in Kansas. Remember, there's a lot of big suburbs right outside of Kansas City on the Kansas side. you got suburban, moderate, professional, college degree Republicans there. That's the type of Republican Trump has been struggling with. And when Trump is struggling with that type of Republican, you're going to see this type of result. He could be vulnerable in a state like Kansas. It's still a real stretch to say Hillary Clinton's going to win it, but there is the possibility there that Donald Trump is going to have to fight for it. So again, you would take that and say, not a sure thing for Trump, just like we've seen polls that say Utah is not a sure thing for Trump, just like we've seen polls that say Arizona, not a sure thing for Trump. In fact, there have been polls putting Hillary Clinton ahead there. When you get to a 10-point race nationally, which you have four polls in the last week saying Donald Trump could have to worry about Indiana. He could have to worry about Missouri if this holds up. And it's a big if. Again, Donald Trump could close the gap, could be a different story in a month. But if Hillary Clinton could sustain the kind of lead she has leaped out into, in, into this race, you could see other states that suddenly get crazy, states you wouldn't have even imagined, like a South Carolina, even a Texas, they could at least become competitive. And what it would mean doesn't mean Hillary Clinton's going to win all of these. It means we could have more competitive states than we ever imagined. That's the way to lay of the land right now at this low moment for Donald Trump. Subscribe to the Dummy Funnies now! They're fucking scared, boys and girls. They're fucking scared. And you know why they're scared? They're scared because in the end, they know that Trump isn't doing as bad as they think he's doing. They think he's doing really bad and he's going to lose in a landslide and all that kind of shit. But the reality is, it's a lot closer than people think. And how do I know it? We're bringing out Russia. We're bringing out all this crazy shit. And on top of it, they won't say that his approval rating is 51%. They say strongly approve 47%. See it all the time. And the reason why they're doing that is Obama wasn't at 51% before the 2012 election. Trump is. Because if anything they've done throughout this, they have overplayed their fucking hand on every fucking thing. They have overplayed their hand. Everything has gone way too far left for the American people. It just really has. So, 
Even though it's supposed to be our last soundbite, I stumbled across this great article, anti-woke comedy that puts SNL to shame because they just don't do anything. All right. So we played the win wokes and races agree on everything. My three-year-old son's a girl now is another one. Well, it seems like a little anti-trans sketch is nothing of the sort. The bit by the libertarian-leaning troupe, We the Internet TV, uses humor to ask an important question. Should we really let toddlers call the shots? Out of Touch by Kevin James. A film bona fide requiring no explanation lately turned his attention to YouTube where he shares a variety of funny sketch. A recent one struck a nerve or more like set up a camp on one and planted an American flag. More than 300 million views later, James joined the elite club of comics telling jokes you're not supposed to say. How to Be a Woke White Person by J.P. Sears, which I think is pretty funny. Brands that need to be canceled. So we're going to play all the ones we haven't played. It's going to be a little long, but I want to end on something funny for fuck's sake because everything is goddamn miserable right now. We got rid of Aunt Jemima, we got rid of Uncle Ben's, but I am wildly triggered by the brands and the photos that I see in this grocery store. Using a polar bear to sell your ice cream, Klondike? You know polar bears were extinct? No thank you. Canceled. Paw Patrol mac and cheese. Listen, defund the police, defund Paw Patrol. V8, you know what kind of emissions an engine like that puts out into the environment? I drive a Prius and that is canceled. Okay, I don't exactly know who this guy is, but I don't like his look at all. I don't like anything that this guy stands for. Canceled. White rice. Brown rice. Why they gotta be separated? Think about it. Canceled. Uncle Ben's absolutely offended by that. Listen, do I know any minorities myself? No, I don't, but I feel very confident speaking on their behalf on the internet. Hola, Tapatio. Una pregunta. You ever heard of cultural appropriation? Canceled. Oh, look at there. It's a woman leading a cow against its will to the slaughter. Selling popsicles shaped as bullets. Wow, absolutely canceled. Blue Ribbon, everyone's a winner. Thank you, that is the only brand of ice cream I will support. Rebel Ice Cream, wow, why don't you just change this to Soldier in the Confederate Army Ice Cream. Okay, I just looked up Red Baron. Red Baron is a fighter pilot in the German Air Force in World War One. seems extremely anti-Semitic. Orville Redenbacher, look at this guy. He definitely made some mistakes in his past. Do you wanna cancel him? We can if we want. I'll look up some mistakes that he made in his past and we can cancel him. I need to appease my white guilt by virtue signaling on the internet. The Keebler Elves, isn't that cute? Well, it's 2020, they're called little people. Canceled. Tombstone, what stands on top of a tombstone? A statue, tear them all down. Canceled. Ezekiel bread, as described, in the holy scriptures. That's offensive to atheists? Canceled immediately. Oh, little Debbie. Why does she have to have red hair? Offensive to gingers. Canceled. Hey, Granny Smith, you ever heard of, uh, oh, I don't know, ageism? Canceled. What do we have here? Country gravy, 758. Brown gravy, 747. I'm just saying, think about it. Tupac. Have you ever heard any of his lyrics? Very violent. Is that what you guys support? Spam? Add them to the list. Cancelled. It's 2020 and Oreo is still separating the light and the dark. You know who's out here solving racism in a Walmart? Duplex. 1850. You know what those dates are? Pre-Civil War. You know another term that means pre-Civil War? 
Antebellum. That's right, just like the band, that brand is canceled. Oh, super fun. Barnum and Bailey's Animal Cruelty Crackers, canceled. A woman carrying salt alone in the rain, absolutely not. Just looked up the definition of minion. Uh, one, an underling or follower of a powerful person. Two, a servant, canceled. If the Dixie Chicks are canceled, then so are these plates. There are thousands of products in this grocery store, and if I consume any of them, I also support the political and moral choices of everyone involved in that company, which makes literally no sense, but it's 2020, and here we are. Wheat thins. I don't think so. Another impossible standard for women to live up to. Let's get some wheat thicks up here and then we'll talk. I love Lizzo. Okay, now we're in the cleaning aisle. We got two dish scrubbers with hands with fingernail polish on them. Why do the women always have to do the dishes? Canceled. Arm and hammer seems very oppressive. Hey, Rice Krispie Treats, why don't you try some diversity? White, white, white. Canceled. Megan Rapino on the cliff bar. Thank you. Gender wage gap finally solved. Oh, what's that? And this doesn't mean anything at all. And we still have real problems that we need to address. Okay. Oh, sorry. Are you a white person who wants a lot of credit for helping to create racial equality while you do nothing to help create racial equality? If so, that means you want to be a woke white person. So listen up, because I'm going to give you your PhD in wokeology. As a woke white person, your mission is to attack as many other white people for being racist online as you possibly can. But don't worry, them actually being racist isn't a prerequisite for you attacking them for being racist. Everyone knows that racism is hate, but as a woke white person, you know that the best way to heal the world from hate is to hate the people that are spreading the hate. Let's take a look at your woke white person black belt skills in action. Tomorrow we should cancel the term white belt. Let's say you encounter another white person saying something as racially hateful as, I love black people. Now at first glance, that could seem supportive to the black community, but as a wokeologist, you know that people never say what they mean. They mean what you think they mean. You can accurately determine what they meant by leaping to incredibly large assumptions that come from your mind, not theirs then you can inform them what they meant by what they said. In this case, it could be, you just think the black community is so weak that they need your love. <laughs> and now we've just exposed their white fragility. Then probably ignore the fact that you're acting from the presupposition that the black community is so weak that they need you to protect them. Next, call on the hyenas to come attack your prey in the comments section. And finally, be sure to take a screenshot of their post. That way, after they delete it from being emotionally abused by you, you can repost it to make sure they keep getting what you think they deserve. And so their thought that you don't like will continue to live on. You get the sensation that you've helped because of the highly emotionally charged feeling that developed inside of you while you weren't helping. This helps make your efforts all about you, not about racially oppressed people. Because it's your job to find racism in what white people are doing and saying online, whether it's there or not, here's some woke principles that'll help you find racism in anything. Assume that all white people that aren't you are racist. Take what they say out of context. For example, if they said, I didn't enjoy watching that game, you could say, that's because a lot of the players are black. 
Accuse them of racism for what they're not saying. For example, if they post a picture of their dinner, accuse them of racism because there's no black people in their food. Accuse them of being a racist. And if they deny it, inform them that denying being a racist is the first thing a racist person would do. If you see someone actively supporting racial equality, let them know that they're only doing it as a virtue signal, and therefore they're bolstering their image at the expense of black people. And just know your virtue signaling of pointing out their virtue signaling is completely different from what they're doing. Occasionally, you might run into actual racism in your feed, but probably not because scumbags usually aren't that honest. But even if you do run into it, you won't know what to do with it because all you've got is weaponized anger, criticism, and hate. Compassion, connection, and education aren't concepts bleached into your DNA. Now, let me help you understand the dynamics of how you as a woke white person are making a real difference in racial equality. When you put all your time and energy into finding faults with other white people and attacking them, it means you are not putting your time and energy into helping and supporting racially oppressed people. Does that make sense how you're not helping the people that you think you are? And it's great because you know that instead of putting your energy into being for something, it's way more constructive to put your energy into being against something. But that doesn't matter because you get woke warrior social justice points for criticizing and hopefully even canceling other white people. But you don't get nearly as many points for helping the racially oppressed because people don't notice you doing it. A general rule of thumb is, if it doesn't give you a dopamine hit from social media acknowledgement, it doesn't help create change with racial equality. Congratulations! You now have your doctorate in Wokeology. Being the woke white person that you are, thank you for crusading with your sword of hate to help heal the world of hate. You're doing God's work. What's up, you beautiful weirdo? Thank you for watching, and I want to take a moment and thank Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough for sponsoring this video. I've been thoroughly enjoying taking Magnesium Breakthrough every night, and I'll tell you why. During the day, while I'm doing my work and exercising and fighting with people online, I accumulate stress, as I'm sure you do too. Oh, I'm a little wound up for the day. I'll just scroll for five hours and get a little angry at people. Now, stress becomes a problem for you and I in the evening when we don't have a way to get rid of it. But here's the cool thing. One key nutrient can reduce a lot of your stress, and that's magnesium. But the problem with that is up to 80% of people are deficient in magnesium. That's why I've fallen in love with Magnesium Breakthrough. It helps me effectively reduce my stress in the evening so I can not only feel good in the evening, but I can bounce back stronger for the next day. It's like if you've ever taken an Epsom salt bath, you know that's relaxing. Well, Magnesium Breakthrough is like an Epsom salt bath for your inside. Most multivitamin mineral supplements only contain one form of magnesium, but Magnesium Breakthrough contains all seven forms that your body needs. So if you wanna join me in reducing your stress so you can feel and function at your best, grab yourself Magnesium Breakthrough at magnesiumbreakthrough.com JP. Hey, Bill. How was your weekend? Just watched a lot of football. You? Found out my son's actually a girl. What? Yeah, we're all hanging out on the couch watching Netflix together, and Tommy turns to Sarah and me and says, I'm a girl now. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea, but who am I to question my three-year-old child, right? Yeah. You're just his parent. What? It's not actually his. Right. <sighs> Sorry, her. Uh, what? You're just her parent. Or is there another preferred pronoun? 
Never heard that before. Yeah, me neither. Learn something new every day, right? So did, uh, start kindergarten yet? Oh, no. Said, no school. Also, we're starting on hormone blockers next week, so I don't really have a lot of free time. Hey, that's parenthood. Yeah. Hey, Steve, you have a daughter, right? Yeah, my youngest is a girl. Any advice? Ugh, raising a girl's a trip. You have to be ready for anything. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like just yesterday, I found out she doesn't need to poop in the toilet anymore. Really? Yeah, she just finished potty training last month, but apparently she just feels better doing it in her pants. Wow. Jealous. Guys, my son's an astronaut. No way. Congrats. Way to go, Martha. Thanks. It's all happening so fast. Yesterday, I went into his room to wake him up from his nap, and I found him sitting on the edge of his bed with his Buzz Lightyear helmet on, screaming, I'm an astronaut! I'm an astronaut! What an accomplishment. So what happens now? We launch him into space. Really? I think so. I mean, we haven't heard back from NASA, but he says, I go to the moons tomorrow! Whoa. The moons. Kids grow up so fast these days. Tell me about it. One minute I'm spoon-feeding my 10-month-old applesauce. The next minute, he doesn't need my help. Your 10-month-old is eating on his own? No. My 10-month-old doesn't need food anymore. Really? Yeah. He just says, I don't want it, and then crawls away. Doesn't need to eat food. That's so advanced. Hey, kids are just more mature now. Mm. Hey, Todd. You okay? Yes, sorry, had a rough night. I'm getting divorced. I'm so sorry. Why? My toddler? Little Jimmy. Yeah, little Jimmy. Tells my wife, I no likes dad that. Oh, tough break. We thought we were so happy. We haven't fought in years. But what are you gonna do? He just finished teething. He knows best. Yeah. yeah. Why are you saying that? You should be right to fight. Do like I'm the boss. Yes, sir, boss. Sorry, boss. You should be right. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. Right for the boss. Need your approval on this, boss? Here's the update on the Linden report. This needs your signature. <laughs> oh, Annie, there you are. You almost gave me a heart attack. Mommy. What are you people doing? This needed his signature. He said get back to work. Yeah, I guess Fred got fired and now he's the boss. He said he's the boss. He's not your boss. He's three years old. Idiots. What a terrible parent. Hey guys, thanks for watching. If you enjoyed the video, don't forget to like it, share it with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. Make sure to click the little bell to turn on notifications so you never miss a video. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to support us, check out our website, wetheinternet.tv. I'm too young to die. This is our life now. This is our life now, okay? We're gonna go on. It's gonna be fine. I can't go on, Marcus. I can't do this. I'm gonna die. Why did you shake my hand? Why did you go? I gotta run. I can't go to jail. I can't go to jail, Marcus. Shut up, come down. Come down. Oh, God, they're coming. They're coming. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Oh, no. Don't. No. Hey, there we go. Here we go.
Marcus, how are you? Good. We out for a little run? Hey, yeah, just did seven. I might do another seven, you know? Wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to hold you up. Hey, let's grab dinner sometime. I would love that. All right. You mean Good Karen. seeing you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean. Nine one one. What's your emergency? Hi. Yeah. I got a couple handshakers right in front of me. Okay, sir. Are, are they still in the vicinity? Yeah. I'm staring at them right now. Run. Well, I, I kind of backed off that. I think I was a little bit overzealous. It would have been like a fucking half hour. So I have uh, four left for our next show. Being a social justice warrior, ultra spiritual life episode 88 esl students learning gender pronouns every silicon valley company right now and woke scold hotline so we have four more for our next show and uh, maybe i'll just do two for the next two shows so we can end on something funny so this wraps up another episode of flower politic podcast please feel free to share this with family and friends and send comments to f-o-p-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at gmail.com fop podcast gmail.com you can get this show on soundcloud podcast addict tune radio google play itunes blueberry stitcher down and pocket cast remember check out the twitter account at bop tony reed we're going to go with the sunday podcast and get back into our rhythm so that will be the 16th of august year of our lord 2020 until then disconnect from all your devices don't give the yeah yeah spend some time with your damn family stop watching the fucking media and have some fun we all need to start having some fun. It's so goddamn miserable right now. You got to put a smile on your face. You got to do something. So, as always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride makes every day count. I'm the sun.